We have no lights. We don't? Put them on. I'll put on the lights. <laughs> Hello. Hello. La, la, la. There you go, lights. Hello, all. Welcome. It is Monday night, generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And Kirsten Cinema is an independent. Shocking. You know what? She just, it's all about just her like wanting to be contrarian, right? So she was fine being a Democrat because she got to be the contrarian, but now with a legitimate majority, it this gives her power again. But I just think like this seems to be a game to her. She has no principles. Like I don't understand, like this just seems to be a game to her. And from my understanding, she's not very popular in Arizona. So all this is going to do is test the Democrats to see whether or not they're willing to put up somebody to the left of her. Well, it's not a question of whether they put up somebody to the left of her because she's now officially out of the Democratic Party, which means that a Democrat very likely will run in 2024. But that means that it's going to be a three-way race. I don't know why anyone thinks that Cinema is not going to run for re-election. I, I never thought she really was that into it, to be honest with you. Well, I not. never thought she was that into it. I think she I've always had this idea like she's looking for a different career situation. But then why declare as an independent, you know, because it maintains media. I mean, again, we're sitting here talking about her. Um, also, it sort of affirms her position of power and that she wants to caucus with the Dems so she can maintain her committee positions. But yet we know she'll still be that outstanding vote. It's sort of like she's still just being the baddie. This just keeps it more kind Yeah, but of Chuck fresh. Schumer isn't doing anything. He's going right along with it. He's like, yeah, we'll let her Because it doesn't matter. They're all part of the circus. That's what I'm so saying. I don't, so I just think it doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there about Kirsten Cinema. Um, I think she's just very self-serving. And eventually, I, again, I don't think she's wanting to get elected again. I've been saying that for a very long time. She is very unpopular in Arizona. And she continues to do things that are in that, like that kind of just snub her nose at the people in Arizona. So I don't think that she's in for re-election. I think she's got something else in mind. I really do. I think yeah. she wants like some well, maybe high lobbying gig or I don't know. Well, whatever cinema has in mind, let's put it this way. It's She's definitely set for life. She's, she played her part. She did what she needed to do. It's disgusting. On behalf of corporate special interests, and that's that. Rob, if you have any questions, shoot me uh, an email. I'm happy to help you out. Uh, yes, uh, the real estate market is uh, very different right now. Uh, things are quieting down. There is somewhat of a recession, uh, depending on where you are. Uh, but ultimately, um, it, depending on what you're looking to do, uh, I'm obviously happy to help. So, you know, let me know. Yeah. Give but, Peter a real estate business. Yeah, that would be great. Then I don't have to, then I don't have to ask Jen for dinner anymore. It's you know, pathetic, I can, I can really. Yeah, he's like, sick. he's like Kramer. Yeah. I don't want a Kramer. He is. He's like Kramer and and, and my house is like Jerry. I don't want to be the Gentile I, trying to take advantage of the nice Jew. First family. of all, I'm half, you, half you're, Gentile. yeah, I was going to say <laughs> you're, I've, but I've got that curmudgeonly Jewish part of me too. So. Whatever, man. <laughs> you've got, you've got tribe in you. Yeah, I get, well. The point is, cinema is definitely about cinema. She loves the spotlight. She, she loves does. the theater. She loves being the center of attention unless it's in the ladies' room. And right. I continue to hound her. But like, honestly, these people cannot be hounded enough as far as I'm concerned, nonviolently. But like, I, as soon as any of these people, and by these people, I mean the people that are working against us, that are that are 
fighting against progress for regular people and justice for regular people. People like Kirsten Cinema. These people should not have a moment's peace. Ted Cruz, you want to eat in a nice restaurant? Good luck to you, man. I'm yeah. sorry, when you're a representative of the people and you're not representing the people, they have the right to demand you to be accountable. And if you don't like now, again, nonviolent, nonviolent. Yeah, there's that fine line between actually <laughs> it's asking whether or not, well, you by any means necessary or nonviolent. But the more we will, as JFK once said, if you make peaceful revolution impossible, Violent revolution is inevitable. Oh, yes, but I'm not going to be a proponent of that. No, I, I do saying. think that it will. things are going to get more violent. Um, unfortunately, as a person who recognizes history and it repeating itself, I don't see how we're going to have our revolution without things getting more violent. Like, I just don't see how that's going to happen. I'd love for it to happen. We offered you guys that option in 16 with Bernie, but you said no. No. So this now we're doing it the hard way. And now so, we're know? really going to see just how hard it's going to get because our two wonderful guests that we're bringing on are part of an organization that we think extremely highly of oh, yeah. uh, because the future is labor. The future is not electoral politics, even though electoral politics plays a part and it does matter. But in terms of how are we getting a living wage? How are we getting universal health care? How are we getting clean energy? How are we getting uh, criminal? Let's justice just say reforms? whichever party gets labor is going to ultimately be the party that's going to be in charge. So yeah. I, I would I would like to see the Democrats do that, you know, but they seem to not care about labor. And well, that seems to be a and, and a lot of those people are going to get lost. And if they're not lost to the right, they're just going to be lost to the Dems. Well, our two guests that we are bringing on definitely know a thing or two about what that's going to take. So guest number one is going to be discussing his latest project that he is directing called The Classroom, which is going to, we are going to provide the clips, which I think you guys will enjoy very much, including the absolute insanity that is Ticketmaster, but sort of emblematic of crony capitalism of the worst kind. And maybe- I, I hate that whole organization. They ruined everything yeah, for they concerts. Really did. They did. Granted, I remember the days where we used to sleep out for concert tickets, but you know. Well, I personally go through TickPick, but that's me, and they've done a better job. But with that said, Shai Dingari, I hope I said it right. Welcome to Generational Change. Hi, thank you so much for having me, and it's great to be here. How, how do you say your name? Chai, Chai Dingari. Chai. Chai yep. Okay. <laughs> how do you like them apples? That was pretty good. Your dimples pretty are good. great. Your dimples are, I know that's, I know you're, you're, you're just adorable anyway. So, um, and are you going to, but we're bringing everybody in. Yes, okay. we're bringing okay. everybody okay. in and I want to make sure that he is ready to go. And of course, in the other corner. But did uh, you mention that it was more perfect union? Didn't I say? You just said this or, I don't know that you even said the name. Like you were talking about their work. Like I'm, every time I see one, the guys, this, these are the guys from More Perfect Union that I'm always saying, you guys got to watch the video from them. But like. No, I did say More Perfect Union. Are you union. sure? I'm pretty sure. I don't think we so. We just said, did we say More Chai, Perfect Union? did he union? say it? I, he might have. I think he might okay. have. Okay. I'll give him the Well, let's say my, my, well, my, <laughs> More Perfect <laughs> Union. And if you think what Shai's work is good, how about our next guest who decided that I'm going to create an account impersonating one of the most downright despicable <laughs> multinational corporations on the planet, which of course is Eli Lilly. And they are the embodiment of why we do not have a universal healthcare system. They make billions upon billions of dollars on insulin. So he decided that I'm going to impersonate them and let everybody know that insulin is now free. And of course, Eli Lilly in her haste had to come in and say, <laughs> No, actually, it's not free. That's we understand awesome. you think it should be, but unfortunately, <laughs> this is a for-profit healthcare system, and it's the last—it's the last frontier 
for crony That's capitalism so through awesome. healthcare. That's so awesome. I love that. Sean Morrow, welcome to Generational Change. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for doing that. That's just awesome. I I, I think that's awesome. I have to first have my disclosure that I did for a short while temp at Eli Lilly when I lived in Indianapolis. <laughs> um, I was wow. a temp, so I actually got paid through an agency, not through Eli Lilly. And I also worked on the drug that is was a pancreatic cancer treatment drug, so nothing like too nefarious. Um, that's my rationalization. I'm sticking to it. Uh, but I really appreciate that you guys are always out there fighting the good fight. So what do you want to start with? Well, obviously, you guys have seen what's been going on, and I think the best place to start is obviously what happened with the railroad workers. Your work is predominantly dealing uh, directly with the labor movement. We have been saying for the longest time, um, the future of any populist left movement in the United States rests with labor. It's not going to rest in the Democratic Party. It's going to very much be like it has been at any inflection point in our history where things went well. It's because the movement was so great from the outside that the elected officials, if you will, were basically scared into doing the bidding of the working people. And I think that we really have to recognize the importance of labor and how that is a, it crosses all political boundaries. So your guys' initial thoughts on what did happen with the railroad strike or what should have been a railroad strike and wasn't, and where do we go from here? Because even though that was a devastating loss and there's many places we could go with it, there's also a lot of positives that have been coming up with people trying to unionize all over the place. So whoever wants to hop on first, by all means, love to hear your thoughts. Sure. I mean, I can start and Sean jump in as well. But Absolutely. yeah, I think, uh, you know, telling stories like of the railroad workers is more perfect union's mission has been from the very beginning. Um, we were founded in over a year ago, starting with the Bessemer workers stories. And, you know, Sean and I are storytellers primarily, and we've worked in lots of media places. And it's exciting to be at a place where we're putting the worker stories first and letting them tell their own stories. And the work, the railroad worker stories were a part of our labor coverage and Sean and I work on the classroom team and we work in, in tandem with that team to really kind of, they tell the stories of the workers and we unpack the kind of larger systemic forces mm-hmm. of corporate greed that right. lead to those problems. Right. So while, you know, the news side might be covering the, uh, the you know, speaking to workers that are trying to go on strike and getting that empathetic story about, you know, being offered zero to one sick days and that absurdity. Um, we didn't, you know, we didn't do a, a railroad strike video, video, but if we did, it would focus on the consolidation of the, the few rail companies that exist and how that consolidation gives them more power. It would focus on how private equity has snapped up a lot of these, a lot of these different uh, railroad companies and how uh, the, and tying their, 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 their profit motive to the fact that these workers aren't being given just, a truly basic number of sick days, like very basic rights. Um, and yeah, so that's the kind of the angle we're coming from. Well, a lot of our colleagues are, are on the ground working with uh, working with the workers. Yeah. And we have a great team of labor reporters. Uh, I know you've had Jordan, Zachary on the show before. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, we have an amazing team who's really out there amplifying these voices that don't get heard in traditional media. Um, and I think that's really the main thing that I think more provenus strive to provide over the last two, now we're coming up on two years now of work and um, being able to tell those stories that are ignored and being able to actually let them tell their stories in their own words. Um, for example, we're at, on the classroom team, we're about to um, 
work on an op-ed about uh, the beef monopolies, and we're telling it through the story of an individual cattle farmer mm. who is about to sell off uh, his farm because he's been squeezed out. He's a he's multi generational farmer who's been squeezed out by these monopolies, and you know we're applying our explainer tactic, but really the 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 key to all of our stories is telling it through the voices of the people, the working people experiencing yeah. all these problems. So before you, I just want to tell you, it's very interesting. You say that. So a few weeks, it's like a month. How long ago was Scott on the show? I have a friend. His name is Scott, Scott Lively. Scott Lively. We did. He actually has a book that's out recently called For the Love of Beef. And he is somebody that does grass fed and he's very much into promoting sustainable and regenerative um, uh, agriculture and cattle rearing and his, his is all grass fed and he actually owns his cattle. Whereas, and he went into a whole thing on our show about the big four mm-hmm. and how, and, and how that's controlling the industry. And there's very few that are actually independent out there. Very few. And even ones that look like they're independent, they're not really, and they don't own their cattle. It's very interesting. I thought, I don't know if you were like, this was a whole eye opening yeah. thing to me about the beef industry. Absolutely. That, that, the, the consolidation there is just so absurd. And, um, you know, we, we did a video about cargo, which is one of the big four. And a lot of the comments were people saying like, oh, this doesn't affect me. I get my meat at the farmer's market. And what those people don't understand is like, where do you think the fertilizer comes from? Where do you think the seed comes from? Where do you think, uh, you know, other farming supplies come from? Where's thing, where are things kept? Where, what grain elevator are they kept in? Cargill is always going to take a little bit. They're always going to be slicing a little bit off the top in the yeah, in the same way that that's presented as a scam in a, office space. They're slicing a little bit off the top every time. That's just their entire business model. It goes without saying that uh, we know how devastating big agriculture is to the environment, maybe more so than anything else. Trying to get people to stop eating meat is not the answer. Well, and let's be clear, by big agra, and my friend was very clear on this, we're talking about big beef. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're talking about. Like the other aspects of agra are minor in that category. Okay. The issue of factory farming is so significant. And I don't think people realize, you know, when everyone's pointing the finger at those who, you know, let's say hunt for food, uh, that's the most sustainable way to do it if you're going to do it. But growing, you know, millions and millions of cows and, you know, uh, pigs and chickens, uh, this is what ultimately becomes a very detrimental part of our culture and obviously the environment that we want to live in. I I think that the key to that messaging regarding big agriculture is something that I think most people do identify with because a lot of the messaging with with the populist left, it ends up shooting itself in the foot by saying, well, you should just stop eating meat. And I'm thinking that might be a conversation to have a decade down the road, but in the interim right now, we can get the overwhelming majority of people behind ending factory farming. Like that is something that most people universally agree with. And one of the things that more perfect union seems to have a really good handle on is messaging. Not a lot of people on the populist left know how to message, but you guys do. And if you could talk about the importance of that and how you reach people being a key to in in order to move the message along in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, I I think Sean and I can speak, especially to for our series is uh, we've learned a lot over the last year for the classroom series. Um, the classroom is the, the series that Sean and I work on, which is the explainer, kind of the opinion side of More Perfect Union. It's primarily focused on the YouTube channel. And, you know, as has been discussed many, many times in the media, the the right wing has a pretty strong grip on YouTube. It has for a long time. PragerU, Ben uh, Shapiro's, uh, all this other uh, stuff. 
and you guys are doing great work and there's lots of cra- uh-huh. content creators out there doing great work to combat that and um that was the goal of the classroom to combat that and we've learned a lot uh sean and i by trying to crack that algorithm and what people are paying attention to on youtube and a lot of that like you said is comes down to messaging and we're um i don't know if we've talked about this formally but i think that sean and i you know because of our background in like digital media journalism mm-hmm. but also like just being fans of like narrative storytelling too i think we think in terms of like narrative we think in terms of like heroes and villains and i think that across our content we've done more perfect union our labor coverage especially has done a great job of identifying villains to direct anger towards and the right villains to direct anger towards and also heroes like the working class heroes to kind of center the stories around and and I think that the other element of that, I would say, is like the Ticketmaster fight, going off of what you were saying about factory farming and like a goal to orient around. The Ticketmaster fight was one where we saw like there was an actual tangible goal to orient people around. Um, there was a villain, clear villain in Ticketmaster. There were heroes and all these ordinary people trying to buy concert tickets and being mad at Ticketmaster. But there was an actual like goal that gave people hope that there was a, something could happen. Like mm-hmm. if we get enough people uh, organized and angry and pushing for something, you know, we got 50,000 signatures in the position we put out with our partners. And obviously the Taylor Swift fans took it to the next level and the DOJ investigated and everything. And that's like a perfect example, I think, of a story where we came in at a moment where we could provide the context and unpack this larger systemic thing, going all the way back to antitrust in the FDR era to today and uh, tell a story that had clear heroes, villains, and a narrative arc that um, I think could be useful in all sorts of political fights. Um, I think that's so important. And I've always said that I feel like one of my jobs is to facilitate where the anger should be directed, Mm -hmm, right? Like, Like constantly fighting against the people that are kicking down and redirecting them to punching up like that. I feel like that's almost like if I were like a, a medium between those two, like that's what I'm trying to facilitate yeah. is you. Everybody has everybody should be angry, but we just need to. I agree. It needs to be aimed in the correct direction. Perfect example yeah. is Elon Musk. If you're going to point the finger at Elon Musk and say, oh, I don't like the fact that, you know, you're you call him a transphobe and you do all this. I'm like, that's not going to work. But if you talk about yeah. the fact that he is one of the biggest union busters that you'll ever see and just hammer that away over and over again. Be like, you do understand this guy doesn't give a rat's rear end about workers. Did you see him get booed at the Dave Chappelle? Oh my God. That's, I'm actually, I was surprised that Dave Chappelle was surprised. Yeah. Well, the show was, I think, in San Francisco. I don't care like where that. it is. So. Elon Musk is a douche. Well, he is really? like a, he is like one of the douchiest guys I think I've ever. It's like he bought himself some fake hair and and he can get these young girls because he's money and he has the rocket ship and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he's just a douche that just got handed shit. But I don't know. I just, to, I can't but if you want to get to him, I mean, honestly, calling him I hate anti, to be a hater. Anti, if you call him anti-worker, though, like that's going to land. And that's going to bother him. And he's going to see almost like if there was a hashtag that went viral that says Elon Musk hates workers like that is something that will piss him off more than people calling him names. 
I don't know. No I think he's extremely you. vain and juvenile. Well, that's yeah, I think I think Elon's okay with being anti-worker because Elon's answer to workers' rights is why don't you just be a billionaire? Like that's that's <laughs> that's the way his mind operates. He doesn't get I think what you have to go after his ego. You have to what we tried to do is make people aware of how like his emperor's new clothes situation, how he Absolutely. completely built his own image and then all of his wealth is built on that image. He, you know, he he's coming from this at this from a from a from a right wing point of view. Where I, I think he's proud of how he treats his workers. He's probably public uh, privately. I'm I'm sure, you know, bragging about it. I, I you know I stopped this. I'm keeping these wages down. Um, I, so I think it's a matter of you know going after the, this this facade he's built up around himself. Because once that facade falls, Tesla stock falls, and that's his entire his entire net worth. That's his entire value, uh, proving that he's really just not that smart of a guy. Yeah. And it is something that's practiced across the board by all these multinational mm -hmm. corporations. I loathe Tesla. And so now loathe. we look at obviously what happened <laughs> with Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX, mm -hmm. but yeah. that lends itself to the issue, um, as shy as, as you point out, and we're going to pull it up right now. You know, a lot of people were talking about Ticketmaster and what they were involved in. Price gouging is... Uh, it's almost like a rite of passage in capital, well, crony capitalism anyway. Like if you're not price gouging the working public, then you're probably not doing a good enough job to get rich. So this would be a great example because Ticketmaster has been doing this for a long time, but now it's gotten so obscene that there is no justification behind the way that they're doing it. And only because we don't have labor laws in this country. I mean, let's be honest, we really don't anymore. And we're trying to bring them back. Um, they're able to get away with this with almost complete impunity. So I'm going to pull up this video, this one, like a minute. No, go to share screen. Share screen. Uh, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And let's give it a whirl. The glory years of antitrust were right after FDR's New Deal. The government saw that monopolies weakened worker power. And so they set to breaking up these giant corporations and to preventing future monopolies from forming. Back then, monopolies were viewed as a threat to the very idea of democratic citizenship. Then in the 1970s, a conservative legal scholar named Robert Bork and his pals at the University of Chicago School of Economics started spreading a very different view of antitrust. They said, forget about all that high-minded crap about democracy and citizenship. Instead, anti-monopoly regulators should limit themselves to thinking about consumer welfare. Basically, they focused on short-term goals like lowering prices rather than promoting competition in and of itself, and most importantly, preventing the gross power abuses of monopolies. Antitrust enforcement fell by the wayside as a priority. The Democratic Party platform didn't even mention antitrust once between 1992 and 2016. This is what allowed for the growth of monopolies in every industry, meatpacking, tech, banking, finance, eyeglasses, cheerleading, beer, and in 2010, the music industry. Goes without saying that it, it is a rather unfortunate set of circumstances, but I think in a lot of ways, people were just kind of asleep at the wheel for yeah. the past, you know, 35, 40 years. Do you kind of see it that way? I mean, honestly, Bernie to a greater extent, and yes, even Trump to a lesser extent, really woke up this country in a lot of ways that hadn't been done probably since the days of JFK and LBJ. So I, I really think that there is something to be said about sort of this great awakening that's been happening. And 
think because these multinational corporations have been able to get away with this for so long, their initial reaction to us recognizing what they're doing is, well, this is how it's always been. Why are you getting upset now? I think they're just upset that they got caught, kind of like your experience show with Eli Lilly. It's one mm-hmm. of those, yeah, but this is just how it is. So <laughs> just, just deal. Do. So just deal with it. Yeah, it's we're kind of questioning that it has to be that way. That's uh, kind of uh, what the, the the movement we're trying to be a part of is questioning that it has to be that way. So many of the problems that we talk about in any of our videos can go back to just these this one monopoly problem, just antitrust, just consolidation. Uh, mm-hmm. And the lack of antitrust legislation, uh, you know, it's, it touches meat, it touches Ticketmaster, it touches uh, insulin. The, the fact that there's only three companies are a major part of that is a major part of that story. Uh, and if people really have just kind of accepted it. Uh, and we're hoping to change people's associations with these companies so that when someone hears Ticketmaster, they think price gouging. In the same way, if you ask someone who's not politically informed, like, what do you think of Halliburton? They'll be like, oh, they're evil. Well, what does Halliburton do? They wouldn't know, but they still know Halliburton's bad, right? Yeah. And kind of creating those associations for people is also a, a, a part of the way we think of these pieces. Yeah. And that clip, I would say, probably maybe one of the last entertaining sections of the video, but I wanted to play that because, you know, a lot of the video goes into like the Bruce Springsteen ticketing scandal, Taylor Swift, all this stuff. And like the people are curious about, they've heard about it in the news, they've experienced it themselves. But like that section that goes through the history is kind of like what we like to do in classroom videos, this Trojan horse a little bit of like, mm-hmm. you know, U.S. government history <laughs> into it, like something that is happening in the news that you're curious about. And then we're going to give you a little bit of educational background and context to go along with it that places it within a larger, you know, systemic kind of um, deregulatory kind of state that we're in. Right. Like someone clicks on a thumbnail that has a picture of Bruce Springsteen and Taylor Swift. And then all of a sudden they're learning about the new deal. Uh, I love that. I I think, and if, you know, I love what you guys are doing. I mean, I, from time to time will whip out, I've got my little constitution and I'll whip out like, and do some sort of like civics lesson, like on the fly. But um, I think it's very important. And you, if you don't tie it to things like where you can put a headshot of Taylor Swift on a thumbnail, then unfortunately you will get lost in like the media situation now is such that I don't mind doing things for getting attention for the greater good. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't cover stuff cause it's click worthy, but will I use a picture to get somebody onto something that I think is, you know, an important issue. Yeah. Yeah, we do that. So I, I totally appreciate it. I think you guys are definitely on point and I think you do really good work. Well, well Springsteen has, has been my favorite musician for a very, very long time. I happen to come from <sighs> the same area as him. And of course, watching the whole odyssey of you know him being this working class hero for so long to basically devolving into such a way as to basically just being a corporate mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. And it really hurts because I thought there was an excellent opportunity in the summer of 2015 going into 2016 where, you know, here's Bernie Sanders. Here's the guy that is trying to be the leader of the free world who embodies your message, that message you've been singing about for 30, 40 years. And yet he didn't do anything. Cricket. He allowed he allowed his consigliere, Stephen Van Zandt, to endorse him. And that and, and Stephen Van Zandt endorsed him after Bernie went up to Standing Rock. Like at that point, Stephen was like, Bernie, I'm in. I'm like, well, he's a neoliberal tool. You have to accept this now. I, well, I still love his music. He's friends with Obama. Yeah. He does podcasts with Obama when he should be doing podcasts with you guys. I could vomit. 
I mean, when you if you're either, and I think that that's the greatest tragedy for so many of them because we see a lot of celebrities who act like they really know what's going on, but in reality, you're never going to hear. This is the thing that I find so interesting. You know, you have your causes that people have, especially when you have causes like you know you want to have uh, you know gun reform and things like that, and these are issues that matter very much to a number of people, but they're not uniters the way that a living wage is, the way that universal healthcare is, the way that clean energy is, the way that criminal justice reform is, the way that ending the wars is. Those things are uniters that you're talking about prior to that list are uniters for people that are privileged. I'm talking about. Uniters that have the opportunity to bring as many people together as possible and the people with the with the megaphones that could actually be making that difference are not addressing those particular issues. And when they feign this attitude of, oh, these people are so terrible and I'm thinking, but you're not actually going after the root cause of the problem. And if you're not going after the root cause of the problem, then what's the point? If you're not going to address the fact that Gun manufacturing is a three billion profit a year business in the United States. That that's why you don't get anything done. It's not because people don't want this to happen or that they don't think that people. Oh, there's plenty of people that don't want that to happen. That's true, but they're actually a very small minority yes. in terms of having none whatsoever. But when you're talking about the fact that it's one of the few exports that we have, which is making weapons, you know, there's a reason why it doesn't get talked about to the length that it does. We have a for-profit health insurance industry in the United States. <laughs> and not just Eli Lilly, but all of these mega corporations, whether it is private insurance or big pharma, that make ungodly amounts of money that I don't think people can ever wrap their heads around. And yet I'm still wondering how anyone is okay with for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors. When I have any conversation with a conservative, it's always, I don't want the government running my health care. Well, guess what? That's not what single payer is. It's government funding health care. There is a huge difference between government telling you what doctor you can see and so on versus there is no reason for Aetna, Cigna, United and the like to actually exist. How do you guys feel in regards to messaging health care at this point with more perfect union? And have you seen the yeah. type of responses to this point that's giving you hope for where the future lies with that major issue in particular? Absolutely. Yeah. I think something we've tried to focus on is, is this, this why. So say, you know, you're talking about universal healthcare as someone that's not entirely convinced and they're like, I don't want to pay for someone else's healthcare. And that's where you kind of have to meet them. Right. Uh, when you're talking about say like insulin being way overpriced, but insulin, the price of some, a drug like that coming down would have nothing to do with the government actually paying for it. It would have to do with the, the single payer system, meaning that these companies only have one person to sell to, so they have to keep one group to sell to, so they have to keep the prices down because they would have no uh, opportunity to sell it for more. There's just so much that could be done to stop just this transfer of wealth from from working people to these to these pharmaceutical companies that it has nothing to do with the fact that you know like anything altruistic. It's just a matter of it's just a matter of. Uh, it's capitalism. It's still, it's seriously just embracing the, the tenets of capitalism in a way that, that cut, like cuts these margins just a little bit so that people can get what they need. Um, and it's, and that's, again, that's just to get part of the messaging. It's, uh, reminding people it's like, it's still about competition. We're still letting you have your, your, we're still letting you have your capitalism, but, uh, we're doing it in a way where people can live. I find it infuriating. I find the whole pharmaceutical industry infuriating. We're giving them money on the front end to do their research and subsidizing all of the stuff that they're doing to come up with these things. And then we're paying them again on the back end. 
It's like they literally don't do anything. It's like, what is their point between the scientists and the doctors? They're just, I don't get it. We're paying, like we're subsidizing all their research and then letting them just control stuff. It's very strange to me. Yeah, a lot of the money ends up going into, you know, uh, back back to shareholders. It goes into marketing, yeah. which is which is an absurd thing that they're yeah. allowed to spend so much money on. Um, that was, we did the piece on the Sacklers as well, how the Sacklers uh, got rich. And we just mm-hmm. focused a lot on like, yeah, but primarily, I mean, it's been well covered, but primarily it was like their, their, their innovation was really just marketing. That's what they yeah. did. Yeah. <laughs> and they got rewarded by billions. So did you guys again, do anything on them? Did you do anything on them, The fa- like the deals that they made to stay out of prison and how come they're not being criminally prosecuted? Yeah, well, our angle, so we have this kind of sub-series, uh, the Sean Rice as well, called How They Got Rich, and kind of, it's, you know, our little like bio, biopic series of different mm-hmm. billionaires and the policy failures that created them, and and we did one on how they got rich, and um, you know, we, we didn't really get into kind of like the later, like the criminal stuff, proceeding stuff, but we did start off with um, the testimonies that happened earlier this year where there's opioid victims that got to actually like, for the first time, I think, say their piece to the Sacklers. And that was, I think, very powerful to see all those people that spoke directly to them. And I think they just sat there in silence, just took it, and had no responses back to them whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just another example of like rampant greed. Yeah, I think I actually think they're sociopaths and that they really couldn't care less. Um, I think that they absolutely knew at a certain once they knew, you know, there were people in that family that maybe didn't know the whole time or whatever, but they all knew at some point. And then they just still kept profiting off of it and hiding it and all this like that's there's a there's a sociopathy there. That I'm I'm just saying, like they need their own psych meds, maybe. I'm only I'm only two episodes in to Dope Sick, but (laughs) I have certainly I I have certainly figured that most of the message that is being conveyed here is the system is what it is. We have a product, we're gonna sell it. And if people get sick or they die, that's not our problem. That's (laughs) their problem. That's their problem. Our problem is figuring out how we make the most amount of money. And for a lot of people, that's kind of uh, that's kind of how people that that's how maybe that's how Kirsten Cinema as a U.S. senator looks at it. That may be how you know Mitch McConnell looks at it. That may be how Nancy Pelosi looks at it. Oh. That may be how you know Donald Trump looks at it. That may yeah. even be how the Bidens look at it. You know, people get into government in many instances for the wrong reasons. And that's why we're trying to sort of redefine what that is. Uh, But labor really is the great equalizer. The one significant problem that we are facing, though, is that there are labor. I don't even want to say labor leaders. It's union leaders that we should be very specific about that are standing in the way. And they go to great lengths to protect the establishment. Jen, when she ran for Congress, faced a very significant obstacle in a gentleman by the name of Dan Reynolds, who was head of the AFL-CIO in Broward County. And all of the local unions basically fell under his uh, jurisdiction, if you will. And a number of these unions, not going to name them, but they were more than prepared to endorse her against Wasserman Schultz, who is as anti-labor as any Democrat could possibly be. But unfortunately, because that control at the very top was not allowing for the 
local chapter unions to be able to come out in her favor. And there was one union who we will mention, which was the iron workers. The iron workers did endorse Jen, which was great. And that gave us a real shot in the arm. But you better believe as soon as that happened, that Mr. Reynolds basically brought the hammer down to the point in which unions that just wanted to put pictures up of Jen who came to visit their local were told, get that down. Like that's the type of stuff that goes on at the local level that's very serious. And if people are wondering why this is happening, it's because, my opinion, the leaders, the the union leaders, the bosses, a lot of them are, their interests are not with labor. Their interests are with the power of the Democratic Party. And that, to me, I think is something that we really have to be honest about if we're ever going to get there. And we saw a lot of what happened in the 2016 primary in particular. There were only a handful of unions that came out and endorsed Bernie. But if there's one thing I'm sure you guys both remember very distinctly about the Bernie versus Hillary run in 2016, anytime the rank and file had an opportunity to vote on endorsement, they voted for Bernie every time. Anytime the vote ultimately came to just the leaders, the Union bosses. It's union bosses. Then Hillary got the endorsement. I mean, to me, if that's not clear cut where yeah. the, the the differences lie, I don't know what does. How do you guys see it as we go forward, continuing to build on the labor movement? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, again, I think it's just really amplifying workers' voices mm-hmm. um, and letting them. I think we we try to let them kind of guide us to what they want to say and what they, where they want to take us and what their priorities are, what they think is best for their union, what they think is best for their coworkers. And from the very start, from the Bessemer coverage till now, it's always been like people on the ground, our reporters, our videographers on the ground, talking to workers directly and putting their voices first. You know, Um, we, I think that's that's the only way forward is to let, you know, and out of that, obviously, there are lots of figures that come out like leaders like Chris Smalls um, who come out and continue on, like amplifying those voices at yep. an international level. Um, but, um, you know, I think like our I, from the beginning, our organization also like just even as like a philosophy, we haven't had lots of like personalities like on-air personalities and things like that either because i think just philosophically the faz and people started the organization were very much of the mindset that the workers are the faces of the organization the workers that we film and interview and i think you know with the like the fights that are continuing to happen going forward with amazon and, and starbucks workers and ups workers and everything like that i think that's what we'll continue to do that's what our colleagues on the news side of our organization will continue to do. And that's what we'll do on the classroom side as well, is just continue to talk directly to workers in the field, not, you know, um, tr- not trying to put words in their mouth. Well, yeah, one of our I, videos I, that got the, oh, sorry, go on. No, please. Uh, one of our videos that got the most reach on the uh, the railroad situation was just an unedited clip of, of uh, a rail worker that, Chai, uh, but that was Paula Pecarilla got uh, yeah. from a few months ago, actually. And it's just a powerful message about why uh, this this needs to happen the way it does. So it was just a matter of letting this 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 guy who works on the railroad say his piece and help people understand. Yeah, I like that you guys cover it from the worker angle and not the political angle, because the political angle 
that's the kind of stuff that, or, or that, that is the people like the Dan Reynolds of the universe. Those are the people like that we're unfortunately stuck dealing with, but they are not indicative of the actual labor struggle and what's going on in this country. Like those are two separate things. Like how we deal with them politically is annoying as hell, but like the other stuff that's going on and the unionizing. And I have a question for you. Why do we not ever hear about the FedEx workers? Is that that they're not able to unionize? Are they not unionized? Because they don't have AC either. And I don't understand why the FedEx workers and the UPS workers don't come together. Uh, yeah, I actually don't know. Uh, they're, you know, it's it's not something like USPS where they're all one big unit. They're competitors. Yeah. I, I, I actually don't, don't know the answer to that question. Because wouldn't that be kind of like I have this idea that if the railroad workers were on strike and then also the UPS and the FedEx workers simultaneously went on strike and they did it over the holidays, that that would be amazing. Yeah. It would suck. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it would be inconvenient. It would suck. And all of us would have some sort of way we would feel that. But man, that would be awesome. Like, that would be like the coolest thing ever. So, you know, I, that would shut everything down. Yeah, it's a matter of knowing what people really don't want to be taken away. Like holiday season packages, something people really don't want to lose. Yeah, um, and that's when they yeah. need to lose them. That's the whole point. Like the idea of strikers wanting permission to strike is crazy to me. Like, how did we get to the point where our workers have to basically ask for permission to strike? Isn't the point of the strike is that we're not going to take your crap anymore, but yet we have to ask for permission to strike? Does anybody find that ironic? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's strange. Yeah, I remember you know in in in, in school there was a, once a, a school sanctioned walkout about the, the Iraq War. So all, everyone got out. Everyone stepped stood up in our classroom and left and it was it was sanctioned by right. the school. And at that point it's like why are we doing this? It does it's not a it's not an act of uh, resistance any any longer. Exactly. Um, so yeah, the it's it's important to it's important to resist. It's important to know where the uh, the weak points are in in the in the the you know the the billionaire power structure and yeah. find these weak points and go after them. What have you guys noticed regarding there's there's just this, this consensus of, I don't want to be inconvenienced. So even though yeah. I sympathize with your labor struggle, if you get in my way, I'm going to always side with, you know, management, with the shareholders. Why do you think that is? And what has your experiences been like on the ground speaking with either workers or, you know, just regular people who as I just alluded to, may be sympathetic to the cause, but they're not really willing to sacrifice anything in order to see to it that it ha that that it is actually successful in any way. Yeah, I mean, from the consumer perspective, I think it's making going back to the beef example or any of these kind of like monopolies. Like, it's we're going to tell a story through this farmer or this worker, but ultimately his message is like it's also bad for you, the person sitting at home, yeah. like the beef is, it's more expensive for you as well. And I think that part of it is like, you know, showing people that we're not trying to attack. We do so, I think uh, we've all joked more perfect union, like over the course of working here, we've uh, had to eliminate many of the brands that we all love out of our personal well. because we've realized that they all kind of uh, suck. Yeah. Like, 
poorly, you know. Uh, and um, one of our coworkers, Meg, actually has made some TikToks, like how to make homemade versions of, you know, your favorite brands where the workers are on strikers, cheese yeah. things like that. <laughs> and but I think the I think it's not like we're trying to you know, attack you, the consumer for like, or like guilt people. I think sometimes people feel like they're being attacked maybe, or they're being guilted into like, well, I'm not part of this. Like, it's not my fault that this is happening. But I think like, again, going back to the narrative thing, it's like trying to place people, you don't want to, you want to make people feel like they are part of the story when they're watching it so that they can't also compartmentalize it and be like, it's happening to poor people or these other people um it's not me you know when you talk about broadband too like we're thinking about broadband like there are lots of issues with broadband with redlining uh and um impoverished communities having to pay more for much worse internet but it's also a story about kind of like everyone experiencing these giant monopolies price gouging universally across the board so i think it's impossible to highlight the inequality but also and try to bring like i don't know Sometimes I guess it, it, you can also play to people's self-centered motivations and make them realize like, no, this is also bad for you. You should care because, and you should not worry about like, oh, this is, I, I can't be inconvenienced or whatever. Like if workers, you know, stand up and fight and get better pay and get better benefits, like it's better for all of society. Yeah. And, and, and people need to remember that if, you know, if it is inconvenient to, you know, say boycott Amazon, that's because of conditions Amazon has created. If I need a specific kind of light bulb or something like that, you know, even even 10 years ago, not even that long ago, I could probably walk someplace from my apartment to go get that specific light bulb. But Amazon's created conditions where if I need that specific light bulb, I probably either have to get in a car and drive somewhere or go somewhere completely inconvenient or go to Amazon. And that's not my fault. That's Amazon's fault. And it's important to remember that the, the these conditions only exist because of the people we're talking about. So when people are worried about feeling inconvenienced, it's important to remember them like, you're not weak if you don't boycott Amazon. You're not, you know, you're not like, you're not necessarily any kind of traitor. You're just a part of the system that Amazon created, unfortunately. Yeah. And reminding people they should have solidarity with, you know, working, working class people, workers, because it's like, it's kind of like the, how like, the environmental movement evolved where like in the was it the 70s or 80s there's that campaign with the native american and the tier and then it was mm-hmm. eventually like was it like sponsored by the plastics industry or something like it was just like a basically a propaganda movement from the plastic industry to try to something happened um you're back, you're back. You okay yeah sorry <laughs> yeah at least it wasn't us yeah it's not so, uh, yeah, yeah, like this this narrative. And then you lost it again. It doesn't want us to hear that. So, yeah, there's the, no censor, man. I feel like this is kind down. of like a little scary. Yeah, are those headphones plastic? I think they're yeah, you know, they might like, be. Yeah. yeah um, in there. Exactly. Well no, basically, yeah. What I'm saying is like 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 try like the individual choice kind of narrative that was pushed was a way to a cop out to kind of mm-hmm. shift away that anger and that direction from the systemic forces and the corporate, you know, actors that were, that were just getting away with murder. Um, so I think like, again, just reminding people, like, it's not, you're not being inconvenienced. You need to have solidarity with workers and, and, and because ultimately our real enemies, our villains are the, the billionaires and the corporate, you know, the greedy corporate, um, actors that are, that are plundering America. Yeah, it's We've a matter of remembering what the teams are. That's all. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, we talk about all the time. I mean, look, there's a lot of differences between, you know, progressives and libertarians, but there's also a lot of crossover in a lot of ways. And surprisingly, there's a lot of crossover in labor. Uh, most people understand that you don't want, no one wants to be, if you're a worker, be dependent on the government to survive. People want a living wage because they want to be able to have their, their freedom, their individual freedom to do what they want to do. Uh, as egregious as Amazon and other corporations are, uh, no one to me is more egregious than Walmart. Um, in many uh. ways, they kind of started all of this. And yet, I haven't seen anything. And I pay very close attention to the labor movement, but I have not seen anything in terms of labor really challenging the Waltons. And I'm wondering if you guys have better insight as to why we really haven't seen a Walmart superstore have like a major walkout with their, you know, 100 employees who say, I'm not doing this anymore unless we are given a living wage. And we know that Walmart can certainly afford it and then some. Their business practices are as about as egregious as any major corporation that can be. And in many ways, they are the biggest employer in the whole country. So what have you guys seen regarding Walmart and why we haven't seen an active push the way we've seen with the likes of Starbucks and with Amazon? I, I'm not sure. Maybe China knows why, why we haven't seen it yet. But I think the one thing that's important to remember is when it does happen, it only takes one store. It only takes right. one person at one store. And then it's all going to move. And maybe that one store that ha that spark hasn't happened yet. But once we once that spark happens, it moves fast. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Walmart be having to deal with that, and I and people pushing that. I mean, it's almost like they've created a scenario, and it really is the same with Amazon. That even though people are completely aware of how egregious they are and how disgusting they are, we're still a captive audience for their goods. And you go to certain parts of the country where all they have is a Walmart. You know, that this has been made almost like we're, we're basically dependent on these organizations. Um, and, and yeah, boycotting Amazon, that's not going to solve the problem. That's like when people want to like put, you know, plastic straw bands in their, you know, municipal ordinances. It's like, yeah, that's nice. It's a nice gesture and all, but that's not where the problem lies. It isn't at the individual level, but the, the, the onus is on policy to change. Like th that's the only way this can happen. It's not going to happen from a bunch of people boycotting Amazon. And enforcing existing policy, uh, you know, like a lot of the antitrust stuff that we talk about, it's already part of the policies. There's no one's the there a lot of the law enforcement in that area is asleep at the wheel. So it's just a matter of asking people to, you know, treat monopolies like monopolies. Um, but yeah, it's totally right that they, you know, straws are 0.005% of petroleum or whatever it is. Right. It gives a shit about straws. It's not that's not the problem. Um, but they it was so easy to to move straws out of so many places. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, no, I'm not, I was going to say, I'm not sure about Walmart, but I, I'd say like, I mean, I don't know, two years ago, I don't think anyone thought that Amazon was going to be possible either. Mm -hmm. And I think that like the more stories like that happen, I think that ultimately, who knows where we'll be five, 10 years from now. Um, but I think if people just need to be given like a little bit of hope and the fact that, that something could be happening and to take it back to the healthcare example real quickly, I think that what that's what Sean's amazing tweet the best use of eight dollars in history uh, did and like that that story with you know like that's healthcare. i've always thought it's kind of like climate in terms of like news coverage or trying to tell stories where like people feel so hopeless maybe they know already about the sacklers or 
uh, you know, all this stuff happening. It's like, well, what can I, what can I do? Like, what can I, it feels so hopeless, like nothing will change. But then like, I think what Sean's tweet did was like break through that, that hopelessness and, and show you like, no, these guys can, you know, they were shaking their boots a bit. And like, they also like, that one tweet just a few words was able to send like a narrative and tap into so many people's like hopelessness and 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 despair over this issue and at one moment and one over the course of a few days everyone was like talking about it and i think that that's those kinds of things can actually shift the window quite a bit and like make things more possible or at least if people think it's possible then think things can move towards like um actual solutions making everyone realize they're angry about the same thing yeah, that's the whole punching up thing. And it's so easy for both the left and the right to distract us with who the villains are. They'd love to do this. They love to, like the left, it's very much just like political theater and who the bad guys are. And it could be anything from always blaming the Republicans or, you know, it's it's a Russia thing or whatever it is. And then it, it's just, we're not getting anywhere when they're doing that. They're not understanding, like that's just keeping us all divided and they do it so well. You know, like on both sides, the Republicans are always pointing the finger as well. And it's like, oh, it's the immigrants are the problem. That's the problem. It's the immigrants or it's you know, whoever it is. I don't know. I feel like the corruption is just so blatantly out in the open now that people are really getting tired of it. I mean, the idea that, um, you know, the Democrats have just a couple of weeks left to make any type of, uh, you know, in legislative impact uh, before the GOP takes over. Mm -hmm. And obviously everyone's going away for the holidays, at, at, I believe at the end of this week or next week or whatever, it's, it's going to happen very shortly. And in the interim, they have decided they are not, shocking, bringing the insider trading bill up for a vote. <laughs> One last time. One last time. Just to let us know how much they actually think how highly they think of us commoners is, yeah, you want to be able to prevent us from doing insider trading? No, no, we're going to keep doing it. I that. think Martha Stewart should lead a riot on that. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean, she did go to prison for it. Well, that, and I never agreed with that. I don't think that that, that was stupid. That was stupid. You, 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 the, the way you punish people like that is by financially punishing them. You do fines. You do incarcerate Martha Stewart was ludicrous. No, it was definitely more of a dog and pony for sure. Oh, but for we God see sake. a lot of that now. And so just being able to unite labor, you know, when and, and I tell this story often um, because I thought it was very eye opening. But when we were volunteering at the polls on Election Day, mm. uh, one of the gentlemen that I was speaking to was a firefighter. And he is somebody who agrees with a living wage, agrees with universal health care, agrees with clean energy, uh, collective bargaining for the firefighters. He believes in criminal justice reform. And of course, he believes in ending these senseless wars. And he is as big of a Trump and DeSantis supporter as you could possibly imagine. And so what that made me realize is, all right, so on certain you know, culture issues and social issues, this person's going to vote a different way. But when it comes to economic issues and labor issues, this person is right there. And being able to connect with them, I think, is of tantamount importance, even if you can't grab them on the wedge issues. There is a way to communicate with a lot of them. And what I also believe is that once you really have them believing in the economic message, you can bring in elements of the social message and they will allow mm -hmm. it to happen that way. I, you always lead economics and social will follow along with it. 
It always it doesn't has. even have to. We don't all have to agree on everything. But the strongest movements throughout our history, whether it was during the days of Lincoln or during the days of Teddy Roosevelt or FDR or even JFK and LBJ, the economic message is what allowed the stronger social messages. The social integration in this country came at times where the economics was trending in the right direction. If we allow the economics to trend in the right direction, the people who are constantly harping on trans rights and abortion rights and things like that, that will go by the wayside because most people in this world are desperate. And when people are desperate, they only care about survival. When they hear people talking about, well, this person needs to be inclusive and you're a bad person if you don't feel the same way. It's like, I got to put food on my table. And right now I can't do that. And if this is the hill you guys want to die on, go die on it. But I ain't going to be me. I'm going to go fight on this other path. And it's easy for people like, it's totally the Mexicans. It's the Mexicans fault. They totally did this. And when people are desperate, it's easy to buy into that. Bernie's message was so unbelievably powerful, but his message in 2016, especially, I mean, everything that I, I, I get emotional about it because it, I did. He, he changed my life. Like I never looked at politics the way that I did before he ran. And it's sort of, even when my father who saw the bird land on his podium in Portland and that he said, awesome. all right, look, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. That was and awesome. I, I think we, we're, we're longing for that unifying feeling that we once had as a movement that hasn't been there for a while. Which is how people fall, fall prey to false prophets. Correct. Yeah. And that's the yeah. danger of where we are right now. I don't know what's coming in 24, but all I do know for, for absolute certainty is that the labor movement is how we're going to save ourselves. Uh, there is no other way. Well, and there is nobody on the demo. There is nobody. Not right now. There isn't. And that's the great fear because DeSantis is our governor, and we have seen him coming yeah. for a long time. And a lot of people have been, there are people who are still underestimating you, him at this moment. And it's absolutely him. crazy. The guy just won re-election by 20 points in one of the three most populous states in the country, whereas Governor Hockle almost lost to a nut, like a nutcase mm -hmm. in, in yeah. Selden. If that's not a sign, it's a sign. I don't know what is. And, and that's the scary part. Whereas Electoral politics is important and we cannot ignore it, but the labor movement is really where we're going to build this thing out. Yeah. Your guys' thoughts as we wind down the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess want to start with um, the, uh, I think you mentioned earlier too, like the kind of like you said about like you can unite libertarians and kind of left, right? There's some certain things. Like I think there we've talked about it in multiple pieces we've worked on in the last year in the classroom. Like there's this, thin slippery slope between populist left and populist right messaging that uh if you don't counter the populist right narrative and messaging with good strong explanatory explanatory like educational informative messaging on the populist left side people all will fall prey to that and they, we did that we taught multiple pieces we we first talked about that kind of divide and, uh this explainer we did on cryptocurrency mm -hmm. and it's interesting because the way we shaped that piece is like there is this, you know, crypto was created in 2008. Partially Bitcoin was created in like a response to the bank bailouts. Right. You know, and it's a Bitcoin crypto is a kind of far right libertarian ideology and it's real origin. Um, yeah. But it was also critiquing the 2008 
bank bailouts and the establishment, the financial establishment. And at the same time, obviously, Bernie, Occupy were creating, critiquing that same financial establishment. But they, the, the populist right kind of narrative, they critique the establishment and they just want to create a new scam across the street to lure people into. They're just mad that they're not the ones in charge of the scam. And, mm-hmm. and, and so like the, the populist left narrative, like you have to counter that by actually providing good alternatives and uh, solidarity, class solidarity um, and educating people. And I think that's one th- that's one thing, just like kind of like countering the populist right narratives. And also, like, I think we talked about, you know, running on the economy a lot. We did this piece of this voter panel in Texas. Uh, and, and there was people from all different persuasions, one who's a DSA organizer, one people who are more Trump voters, uh, former Democratic voters who voted for Trump uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. And, you know, they all kind of had shared the same kind of beliefs on the fact that the economy was a priority to them and that they were kind of outraged at the corruption from all across the establishment. And obviously you saw people like Fetterman take that kind of economic messaging and take it to actually succeed. So I think that is the way forward. I think it is explaining what explaining that and tapping into the anger of the populist right is also tapping into, but redirecting it towards actual functional solutions that build a more equitable society. And, and also remembering when you talk about, uh, you know, identity and social issues, the way that the, 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 the billionaire right uses those things as a way to get more power for themselves. Uh, another piece we did was about uh, critical race theory and how this entire hubbub about people being upset about critical race theory being taught in schools, when, even though it's just a basic understanding of how our country was built, all came out of the, the, the charter school industry, people that wanted to be able to funnel more money towards these private businesses that are meant to replace public schools. Uh, and they're doing the same thing with, say, like uh, just like trans kids using the, the they're, they're using bathrooms. They're, they're drumming these things up just to make more money. So the, the social issues and the, the identity issues all play into it because they're, they're tools that, the, that these people are using in order to for their bottom line. They don't really care about any of this stuff. Look no further than Kirsten Cinema. Mm-hmm. She took full advantage of it. She had a plan and, you know, she decided, well, I can use this as a weapon and I will. And she did. And a lot of people I remember were going absolutely bananas about it. And I remember just thinking shortly thereafterwards, like, how do you feel about cheerleading for her now? Because the only thing you need to look at is the bottom line. And the bottom line was, she was funded hand over fist by Wall Street and <clears throat> almost every corporate special interest you could get your hands on. It doesn't matter what you say. It's what you do that defines you. But don't I mean, the, the, the problem is, is that you have the trans community. And in our case, uh, when you're talking about like fighting against, you know, critical race theory. So the trans community and children are collateral damage. Because that's the, and so when we have to talk about things, I always have to preface it by saying, this is not to mean that I don't find trans issues important. I do find them very important. I just feel like they're being used. um, And so that we're all being sidetracked. And I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up for that. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't pay attention to them being persecuted. We should. It's just very frustrating that it's so easily able to be done on the sheep. Um, because that's what it is. You're right. The people in charge of the message, they don't give a crap about the bathrooms and whatever, but they know 
that they can rally up all their little uh, minions in a tizzy and get them all out voting and all hopped up and have a red wave because they're fighting for what they're calling as parental rights. And, they, and what you all and what you'll also notice, and what you'll also notice, as I'm sure you guys have observed, is that the parents, in particular, that are the loudest when it comes to you know the what's being taught in the classrooms and things like that. These are usually very, very comfortable people that yes. do not have a general care in the world about how they're going to pay their bills, what policies are good or not. They are living so comfortably that they can take on these little projects that make them feel good about themselves. Like they're saving the world in that little way. All they're doing, as is often the case, is just protecting their little fiefdom that they have Mm -hmm. control over. And so breaking through to that, I think is the biggest message that we have going forward. Yeah. As we wind down, what are you guys working on right now? What should people be doing in terms of getting more involved with what you guys? They are? should all be watching the classroom episodes. Well, that's yes, that's what. Well, right? Let them definitely. Yeah, yes. watching watching helps. Watching does help. You know that there's an algorithm. Watching does help. Sorry, Chad. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say some like and subscribe. It does help. Yeah, it does help. All right. So the social. I media- love the work you guys do. Yeah, guys. Yes. If you're not watching, I, I mean, I, I mean, I watch you guys on YouTube. Is there some other yeah. platform that you want to push or promote or anything? Well, yeah, well, our YouTube channel. Um, okay. Definitely like and subscribe there. But uh, we, you know, we're all on all platforms. Our TikTok channel is actually doing really well. Um, our right. our social media team is is great, and and. We work with lots of collaborators there too, and and I think that's an also that I think that is our biggest platform right now is TikTok actually, and it's you know. Key, I'd key love get. to work with you guys. I'd love to do work for you. Like I don't know what it would take. Like, can I apply for a job at More Perfect? <laughs> I actually have you a should. degree in journalism, and I have a master's in in marketing communications, and mm-hmm. I have a law degree. Like I have very good credentials, I but I would actually volunteer for you. Like what? I don't know. I I would <laughs> love to things, work with yeah. you guys. All we right, should do a collab for sure. We love collaborations. I think that's been a huge like part of how we've grown. It's just, you know, I think ultimately like what I would love to see if with our YouTube channel or all our platforms, but specifically YouTube, is like there's a huge network of creators out there that are doing the fighting the good fight, creating great content, like yeah. spreading the progressive message. And my dream is to have a huge network of that, that where we're all working with each other and boosting our, each other's content. I think that's super important. That's where I want my five minutes alone with Mark Cuban. That's my, that's my, that's my plan. Like I, like that would be my shark tank proposal, but he's the only one who would be remotely interested because it wouldn't be a profit venture. It would be more of a tax write-off regardless. It's kind of, you know, the the shark tank is very reflective in that. Yeah, there, there is altruism, but you know, as good as Mark Cuban is, Kevin O'Leary is that much worse and Ugh. kind of embodies. Why would you do very, that? Well, he's the worst of the worst. He's, no, my point is, is I do also think that, and we've talked about that with Jordan Cheriton and Steve Grumbine and, and various other content creators that tend to be, you know, and I hate using labels, but left. I mean, I don't yeah. know what, whatever you want to call, you know, uh, you know, pro people, pro yeah pro regular people. So I would love to see that. But the bottom line is, yeah, in order to have something like that really happen, you need major funding. Okay. So once you have major funding, then you have control issues. Then you start having like, okay, now you're going to be censored. Now you're, once you have like a centralization, then you start to have issues. So it's a very, very, that's a slippery slope, but yet it's the only way to have any real, look what happened to TYT. 
right? Like this is, this is what happens, but I, I have a dream. I do. And I'm telling you, it involves me, Mark Cuban. I, <laughs> that's my thought, but yeah. Guys, get her in a room with Mark Cuban. I'm at some telling point you. I think next, we, that's what we're working on next. We'll, we'll yeah. try. We'll, we'll see what we can do. And before you guys go. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. This one's good. I don't have to move over for this one. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to come on there and let you know that I see what's over your shoulder and it is always good <laughs> to see that I've had the type of success with these young people that see the value in what not me, us really meant to a lot of people. Jen, good to see you. But the work you're doing at my, my perfect, no, more perfect union. More it's perfect a great union. organization. It is unfortunate that I was not commander in chief. Otherwise I would have made sure that the railroad workers got exactly what they were looking for. My good friend, Joe, they're fighting over a sick day. Yes, I understand that. I did everything I could in my power to make sure they got at least seven sick days. And unfortunately, we weren't even able to get that, which is unfortunate. Why don't they have like two weeks? Like, why are we arguing about this ridiculous crap with them? The work you're doing at More Perfect Mm. Union is really great. If you guys are not currently checking out their organization, please do. Yeah. They really are talking about labor and the importance of bringing as many people together as we possibly can. If you can do anything for me, your good friend, Bernie, just make sure that you get over to More Perfect Union, check out their videos, support their work. They're doing the right thing for you. Yes, they are. Good to see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much (gasps) for coming on. Your work is extremely appreciated. Um, You guys are making a lasting impact. And, you know, we hope we'll have the chance to collab with you further. Yeah, if you ever need help or research or anything, um, I'm I'm very available to help. Awesome. Thank Thank you you so much for having us on. Yeah, thank you for having us and for boosting our work. And yeah, for doing all you do. It's our pleasure, guys. Happy holidays. And thanks again. Bye. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Same to you. Bye-bye. Those guys. Really great guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, guys, if you're not checking out More Perfect Union on YouTube, Watch their work and apparently TikTok. I wouldn't know about. No, that. we have somebody who helps with that. I tell you what, if you uh, if you ever did run for office, or if I ever ran for office one, if you ever ran for office again, or if I ever ran for I'd office, I'd so prefer once, you to run for office. Well, that would be great to have them have a group like More Perfect Union. They would be really, really awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's. Have you noticed like the common denominator for the people that are doing well is they're young. Well, I mean, there is a new With generation. the social media. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. People that are really adept at the social media stuff. Like, I, oh. there's no way that I would be able to do that without significant help from much younger people. Dirtbag, just look up More Perfect Union on YouTube. More Perfect Union. That's it. And so... They're always uh, good. Yeah, they are. They've done a lot of good work. And you know what's fun? So they, like he, when he, when they first started talking about, oh, for it's been going on for almost two years. So we've been going for a little over two years. And I actually do remember. Dirtbag, I don't have a link. So please just look up on more YouTube, perfect union on, on YouTube. YouTube. Come on, man. Yeah, you can do it. Um, <laughs> God, it's like what I'd like to suck But so service. they started after us, but I definitely remember noticing them very quickly. Yeah. Because they, they they were in this lane that really wasn't being addressed, this very specific labor lane. And at that point, um, that wasn't when Jordan was doing it as much as he was focusing on Flint. No. So, yeah. So I, I specifically noticed them and they do a great job covering um, labor. What are we talking about? You want to talk about Nina? Yes. Yeah, what so, are we talking about Nina? So Nina... We're going to talk talk about Nina Turner because she had a viral tweet that went out the other day. And it was something that definitely got 
a very interesting reaction from a lot of people. Okay. Um, one would make you wonder why that is the case, because it relates to... I want to see the original. Go to the first thing that went out before you, you start looking at all the responses and stuff. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm going to do that oh, okay. if I can find it. You know, Nina's a... Well, what was it about? Uh, about a living wage. Oh, okay. And I, I thought that that was very, very interesting. Although I will say that the responses were even more interesting because everyone is convinced that they understand all there is to know about economics and everyone is insistent that we don't understand economics, which, you know, again, it's, uh, it is unfortunate. Um, and why is it that I can't just find this? I don't I'm know. I'm not sure what you're so looking for. Why don't you say what I just it, said what I'm it. looking for. I know. I said it relates to. But you're going very, like, I can't, I'm not sure. I'll know it when I frame. see it. But okay. And apparently, so it, did she get positive and negative responses, right? Of course. Yeah. Well, Everybody has to hate. Haters going to hate. Well, a lot of people like it, but. This is the tweet that we will share with you guys. So Nina Turner put out a tweet the other day. Nina's a, obviously a good friend and, you know, we can't say enough good about her. Uh, but she did put out a tweet the other day that got a lot of very interesting responses. And so the response that she got from people who claim to understand everything there is to know regarding economics is to say that, this particular message of a living wage, should the minimum wage be $25 an hour? It's not a question of will it make the Big Mac price go up? Studies show this. Other countries that pay higher wages show this. Well, technically, she's not right. The price of the Big Mac will go up, but it will go up at such a small margin that you won't even realize it. If it goes up 30 cents, 40 cents, hell, if it goes up a dollar, it's not noticeable when you consider what an actual living wage, let's say $25 an hour, would actually mean. This was a controversial statement. Oh, extremely. <coughs> extremely controversial. Yes, yeah, so let's keep everybody underpaid so they live off this, of- Is there a way to make this bigger? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. You could take us out. Well, no, that's not what I was- I, I'm not trying to do that. Uh, All right. So just get to get like, let's talk about what what you're wanting to talk about. We don't need to look at the tweet. We get the tweet. Well, here's what you need to know is that even though if you can't really see it really well, the responses from a lot of people is from one hand, you've got $25. That's way too little. 250 an hour. You hate the poor. And like you said, it won't raise prices. So why not a thousand or a hundred thousand? See, I hate that straw man crap. Yeah. So there's that one element that you will see. But then there are other responses that people will say, uh, you know, could well, be picking off whether or not she was paying her canvassers more than $15 an hour. Okay. You know, there's that. Uh, if McDonald's is forced to pay $25 an hour to burger flippers, you see, there is a prime example of that. See, that person's not conservative. That person's just a dickhead. And why is that person a dickhead? Because there is this belief that it doesn't matter if you if, if you have a job, it matters is your job of any value. And flipping burgers apparently is not a value. That doesn't matter to people. You are should be grateful that you even have a job and <coughs> want to pay you piss poor amount because you don't have a skill. But the truth is, it does require skill in order to operate a fryer, in order to clean, in order to manage. There's a lot of things that go into working in a fast food restaurant. I don't know why the knee-jerk reaction, though, is always to say, 
going to the fast food restaurant. Why, why do you keep showing me this? I'm, I keep getting distracted. I thought you were trying to show me something. I, I could No, I wasn't. Oh, I'm sorry. Just to be I, I just, in your zone, man. I'm sorry. Uh, I was looking at news stories. I'm sorry. Did you want to talk about something? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just, you're wanting to talk about the, the Nina's tweet and the minimum wage comment. I don't understand how this was so controversial. Well, it's controversial because a lot of people just say, imagine being so economically illiterate, you think increasing wages on a business by over 100% in some cases wouldn't lead to increased cost to consumers. See, again, it's this whole idea of going after the straw man of, well, what makes you think? Yeah, okay, so Nina was incorrect in saying that the cost of the Big Mac wouldn't increase if we had a $25 minimum wage. But you're still... This, there is this idea that you don't need a minimum wage. Like there are people who don't think that that's necessary. If we lived in a country that was extremely labor strong, like in Scandinavia and other parts of the world, if we had universal health care, if we had tuition free public college and trade schools, then you would probably have a more reasonable argument regarding whether or not a minimum wage should be of any higher amount. You realize that the same people generally averse to a living wage are also averse to all those other things. Maybe so. <laughs> Either you care to live in a civilization of healthy and educated people, or you do not care to live in that civilization. I don't understand how we're like arguing about this. It's so ridiculous. Again, we're putting the onus on, you know, and even if her numbers were wrong, because I actually think it was something like they did do a study as to when you could, what you could increase to before prices would go up. Like these are things that could actually be known numbers. But the bottom line is, is that if we don't live in a world where people make a living wage, nobody's going to be around to spend any amount of money on those Big Macs. Like that's what's happening. Like we're, we're creating such a rift that capitalism is imploding on itself. It's going to self implode. And there are companies that do this properly. There are companies that pay their workers and turn a profit. It is very possible to do that. Costco does that. You know, there yeah. are companies that can pay their workers and turn a profit. I just, I find it very frustrating when people sort of do that. Well, if you do this, then this. No, no, that's not true. We can pay people a living wage. We choose not to do that. And the government could be subsidizing small businesses to do that. I actually think that that would be a solution to help small business owners um, if they do need help in maintaining, you know, being competitive with businesses that are able to increase that. I mean, I have no problem with that, but people need a living wage. Like people need a living wage. Nobody should have to be working two jobs to be able to live and still not have health care. Like that, that is not a sign of a good civilization. And anybody who says that we can't have that, why do you have so little confidence? And, and I find that it tends to sometimes be people that are so self-proclaimed patriotic. Like, if you think that we're so great, why, why are we not capable of having these things? We're the richest country in the world, and yet we can't have what other countries have. I don't, how, how do these people reason this? Well, this is also the reason why you have this issue here. If it will just close the McDonald's franchises near you or push them to automate the entire store. I'm so sick of the automation argument. So this lady, Veronica Sims, decides that that's the argument that's worth going for, which is to suggest that, well, you're a worker. You're not worth anything. So just be grateful for what you have because they decided to bring their business into your community. And if you dare fight against them, they'll remove the business. And they say it like, oh, that's okay. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, we'll just remove the business. So you're not really going to miss anything. Have you ever noticed that the people that generally make these comments are either small business owners who truly don't see any, like, 
salvation for them if these things were to go into effect. I kind of get that perspective. Okay. I, I understand that. But it's it's often people that just they don't even consider labor anything worthwhile. Like they're what you're saying. They're also generally not happy. Well, they're not, but but a lot of these people are also like entrepreneurs. They're people that are what they would consider like more white collar jobs. They don't care about labor because to them it's just, you know, they, they don't doesn't affect them. I just think it's very people that are very far removed from working people or people that have ever worked a union type job. And there is a resentment for blue collar work. There just is. But yet who who do you think should be doing those things? And that that's what I'm saying. Like all work is valuable, not necessarily the same. I don't think that the person who's cleaning the bathrooms at a large company should be making the same amount of money as the CEO. I don't think that you know, but I do think there's a way to do it so that the, the person on the bottom has a living wage and everybody up from up from there makes whatever percentage more. That's what Costco does. It's just, well, again, Costco is one of the best. They maintain the, the ratio between the top paid and the lowest paid. They maintain a ratio. So everybody gets raises together. Everybody. It's not it's not rocket science. The, the bottom line is we're being gouged and we're being convinced that we're too greedy to want things that should just be things that are part of a civilization. It's we're being gaslit, basically. I just don't I do not understand how people cannot see the scam, how they can't understand that you're doing the bidding of the people who are destroying society. If that's what you're doing. You're you're really you're not really supporting your masters, and they're not helping small businesses. Oh and remember, God. these <clears throat> multinational corporations, once they are publicly traded companies, they're no longer in the private sector. They say they're in the private sector, but they are now publicly traded, which means they have a direct effect on the economy. Meaning that what goes on in Florida affects what goes on in Wyoming. That's a reality. Why does Wyoming hate me? Don't know. I think it's a Cheney thing. Maybe. So. If you're going to have a problem with that part of the business, if you have a private small business that's not publicly traded, then you have a right to do what you want to do. That's your private right. But this is also a reflection of the fact that our labor laws are so bad. So either you believe in the free market, but you also have to believe in a social safety net, which is why capitalism and socialism have to work together in order for society to function and succeed. Or- There is no other way. We will be Lord of the Flies. Like- We're heading there. The the whole point is, the whole point of gathering together as a civilization as opposed to everybody just being completely off the grid and independent and homesteading. And by the way, I'm all for that. I would love to live in a place where that was how it was, but I'm just, in order to be part of a civilization, there are certain perks right? Like that's the whole point of kind of joining together. We all, you know, you want to think of it, whether it's your tax dollars or just your participation in this government, however you want to think of it, we're part of this thing, right? And so why wouldn't we want most of us as most people as possible to be as healthy and as educated as possible? How does that not benefit all of us? Why do people want to be surrounded by hungry, uneducated, unhealthy people? How is that good for us? I just, and by the way, those people are not going to be consumers. You're going to keep losing consumers more and more. I mean, I'm trying to say, I mean, I can, you know what, this was like the whole FDR thing. He wasn't, he wasn't socialist. He was saving capitalism. Yeah. He was saving capitalism from itself because he knew that there was not just, we're not talking about revolution and riots in the streets. Cause that's where it could, that, that was probably coming. He knew that, but he saw the bigger picture that if you don't regulate this, 
it's just going to, there's not going to be anybody to buy our crap anymore. And they need there. consumers. And we're there right now. That's why it really is devastating that Bernie did not become president for at least one term, because there are those things that FDR was able Agreed, to do. Agreed, double K. Agreed. Ultimately, it could have been um, a big difference. But we're never going to have the conversation of a federal jobs guarantee as long as somebody like Joe Biden is president. Mm, Forget no, it. But that, if we had a federal job guarantee and that paid a living wage, we wouldn't need to have we wouldn't need to have a minimum wage. That's right. We wouldn't. I mean, you, you because that would be the competitive rate. Like if you had a federal job guarantee and that became the competitive rate, that would be what people would have to pay. So it would be sort of like, look, Finland doesn't have a minimum wage, but they have very strong labor unions and they get very good you know, results from that. They don't need to have a minimum wage. I'd love to live where we don't have to legislate it and everybody just takes it upon themselves to pay people a living wage. Look at, look at, look at Australia. I mean, they run their country as well as anybody. I they, mean, have, they have a living wage. <clears throat> their, their minimum wage is like eight, nine, 18, 19 an hour. Uh, but life, but you're also, I mean, life. it's apples and oranges to some extent. You know, also they don't have, uh, they have healthcare and they also don't have student debt and they also don't have a lot of other things that we that's have. That's right. Here. Well, they don't have corporate subsidies like we do, but we do have that. And that's a big part of the problem. Well, we're socialist for, cor- we're corporate, we allow socialism for corporations. That we do. But that's, you know, it's no answer to the problem. All I know is that Nina Turner is an absolute net positive and then some Can politically. People just, and the people who go after her, it's just not right. Just lost. But it's the same people that haters are going to hate. And I get it. Like you want to talk about the logistics of it and everybody wants to get down to the actual numbers. Oh, $25 an hour. And they want to mock that and all their talking points and whatever. I get that. That's not what bothers me. It's when people that are on our mission go after her. Um, and that's the problem. Like, I don't mind like people that are like wanting to talk numbers. They want to have their numbers, let them have their numbers. Um, but it's when people are mean. Well, well, people are just mean in general. Well, right I now, just, and I don't like it. There's no reason to be mean. Uh, well, There's just no reason to, to be, be mean. mean at a time where people are desperate and they're just looking at every, which direction, you know? Yes. But no. mean is just not going to solve our problems. It's fair. It's just not. So what do we have coming up on Wednesday? But I was, oh, this is what I was showing you. Did you see the thing about the nuclear, the energy thing that broke through? It was like the front of CNN. That's what I was trying to show no, you. I didn't see that. that. That was what I was trying to show you. It's pretty big, apparently. There was this huge- Yes, nuclear fusion. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so yeah. I just thought that was really interesting. And you know, people are always saying, if you want to be able to do nuclear, that it would just take too long to set it up. We've seen that sort of talking point a few times. And there is a certain amount of validity to it. I mean, the people that say it are basing that on some sort of set of circumstances. And so what goes into setting up nuclear uh, energy grid, I don't know. But- this apparently would render that not a good argument anymore. That's no, nuclear why fusion is the future, and that is ultimately what is considered the 21st century technology that we need if we're ever going to be able to get off of fossil fuels. And depending on what type of a breakthrough they have, uh, but it's going to be commodified, no different than anything else, because the American worker is not <laughs> entitled to anything, and they will just have to accept that. But if you are willing to be a little bit generous – if you go to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month, you could be a wonderful supporter of our show, much like our good friend, Double K, who, let's face it, 
we love her, oh, but guys, great. you got to spread the love around. Yeah. We need more. We need more love on the show. She's great. And you know what I realized? So she lives in Harvey K territory, mm. but it's not spelled the same. So I don't think there's any relation between double K and Harvey K. Well, but... Harvey K will be coming on our podcast for the Festivus, for the Festivus, <sighs> which will be great. By the way, we have our first panel confirmed for our Festivus. It is going to be what I like to call the MMT status coup panel. Okay. It will be Jordan Charity. In other words, the people that need to come on early because they have to have their family time out. Well, that's true too. <laughs> so Jordan Charity, Steve Grumbine, and Ron Placone oh. will be our first panel. I said to him specifically, like, you have to get Ron Placone for Festivus. So we'll have that first <laughs> panel. Uh, I believe our second panel will include Harvey K. We are working on some other people. We will see how it ultimately unfolds. But there's with, a, and then you always have some sort of surprise. Well, we'll see. We'll see. You always have. I some can't sort of say surprise. everyone is going to come on, but obviously we will see what we can do in terms of surprises. And if you are so inclined to be a ten dollars patron, Ooh, as I you can see, the Lulu sticker and Mansion Parliamentarian bumper sticker, you know you want these bad boys. Going to be working a lot one day. But if you are even more so inclined, $25 a month will allow you to get the Tri-Blend Super Awesome Generational Change Baseball Jersey. It's shirt. just a really cute jersey, guys. It really is. It says, here comes the sun. And here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. We're now, trying. In terms We're of trying. our small business neighbors, did we get a new one? I didn't check today. I didn't check today. I don't know. We're going to hold off on talking about that because right now we are in, we are in, I don't know. So I'm not going to comment on that. Well, we would definitely like to make sure that we do have a small business supporter, but you know, the good news is, is that we're- Especially if you're a taco truck. Well, we, we got to go find a taco truck is what we need to do. And so with that said- You what, know what? I want to do the garden divas. I know you think that they're like, that it was pricey and it is, but everything's more expensive. I don't want to argue about that well, fact with you, but I do. And they're food. very local and I love the garden divas. Well, and and I follow them on Instagram and all that stuff. And they're always like- I love the garden. Well, Guys, the Garden Divas is a local food truck. It's vegan. It's their stuff is great. And um, yeah, they're just cool ladies. They started out just doing this hummus dip. They had this hummus dip that they made. They got like known for the dips and all that. And then now it has turned into a whole food truck. But yeah. And anyway, I'd love to have them as like a, a you know, I'd promote them anyway. That's the truth because they're good. Doug, you bring up a really <clears throat> great point. Imagine if top dem consultants include John Nichols, Harvey K, and Thomas Frank. What is it about these Midwesterners that just seem to have their ish together? The people are just nicer there. Yeah. They also, this is, you're talking about people in an area that voted for Jesse Ventura. Jesse the body Ventura? I'm just saying, you know, Midwesterners, they are independent. There's a lot of very independent people there. They're there not very, yeah, it's very independent and it's very labor oriented. So, it makes sense. And what do we have coming up on Wednesday? Um, Wednesday, we're having another segment of our Deconstructing Zionism panel, and we're going to be having on Rabbi Brant Rosen <laughs> um, talking about his book called Wrestling in the Daylight, and also Rosalind Pacheski. She is, I, I don't know if she's in charge of Jewish Voice for Peace New York, but she's very, she, or she might have even started it. But anyway, in her book, and that she contributed to called A Land with a People, we're going to be talking about that. Um, and just, yeah, so it'll, it'll be like a segment of that, of the Deconstructing Zionism series that I'm kind of working on. And then next Monday, we have the very, very special guest, Chelsea Manning. And I'm very of, excited about and, this, guys. Chelsea Manning. And then the following Friday, we will have our Festivus for the rest <clears> of us. <throat> I have to say the Chelsea Manning thing is a big deal to me. Because honestly, I can't think of very many people in my lifetime that I think of that are braver 
and more like and went through more hell. I just all she would have had to do was say, oh, yeah, Julian Assange made me do it. That's all she would have had to do is say that. And she could have avoided being incarcerated. Um, And yet she didn't do it because it wasn't true. No. And, you know, I I just she's just mad, mad bravery. Yeah. Like just and she's a hero. She's here and she's very, I'm really looking forward to this because when she came on, there were other people. So I didn't really get a chance to talk to her. And she's just very, from what I remember, humble and just kind of techie and nerdy and just, just a, I don't know. She's just very cool. Oh yeah. Like major hero to me. Like she's like, yeah. I mean, she's up there with like the Dolly, you know, and she's up there. Like she's definitely up there. With that said, we really appreciate you guys, and obviously your great support as always. Um, yeah, yeah. There's really why'd you do that? Because oh, why does it need to keep going? There you go. So he has to control the mouse at all times. No, I just want. And to what's make sure- really interesting is okay, we're both left-handed, and so when we sit next to each other, it actually works out well, like eating or whatever, because it's always better with two left-handed people. But he does the mouse with his left hand. And I actually, even though I'm left-handed, do the mouse with my right hand. So I can very, but you do with your left hand. I can very easily be also doing stuff. And he doesn't let me do it. Like he'll even, and he does this like hand gesture over mine, like like he's trying (laughs) to control if and if I reach for the mouse. It's like a real control issue. I'm just saying, I mean, I'm not expecting people to like be doing like save Jen campaigns like they do for like save Britney and all this no, stuff. No, you're just trying to make me out to be a bad person. I'm just saying no, that right. he is, no, he's very controlling about the mouse. That's all I'm saying. Um, and, and, and is never happy with how I do it. I didn't say that. You just forgot the bottom scroll. That's all. I, you, Again. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Well, with that said, we appreciate you guys. Okay, you know what would be the best surprise ever for me? Festivus, like if you want to get me content creators where I would just be like so beyond excited, get Squirmy and Grubs to come on. Get me my Squirmy and Grubs guys, Squirmy and Grubs. I love you guys, Hannah and Shane. If you guys aren't watching Squirmy and Grubs, I don't know what you're doing. They're like just they're the cutest. So, anyway, I, w- I would love to get them on. That'd be way fun. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Rye, for bringing that up. So we didn't even talk about the woke mind virus. Um, is that a thing? Yeah. Well, it's what Elon Musk said is uh, the of the highest importance right now. Like, that's what we must stop is Wait, the woke mind virus. The woke mind virus. Yeah, that's what he said. Well, the woke, <laughs> that's what's of utmost importance. Well, according to, well, listen, when you have all the money in the world, what else are you going to worry about other than the woke mind virus? You're not going to worry about health care, living wage. Well, especially when you're sort of like a plutocrat, what you want to do is you want to eliminate all avenues of people criticizing you. And so you gaslight them. And that's yeah. part of what this is about. If you stifle what you're calling wokeness, that includes any criticism of your plutocracy that you're I don't very agree happy with in. that because people criticize him left and right all day, every day. Like they've just, uh, Musk is the new Trump. Right. But if like he, but if he, but his fighting back against that is he thinks that the people that hate him are just overwoke. Well, no, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he does believe that there is an overwoke issue in society, but I also think that he is somebody who just doesn't give a damn. I think he's really just, he walks to the beat of his own drum and he's going to say these extremely outlandish things. But as I try to remind people all the time, he's like a petulant child. The thing about, Musk. And the reason why 
people are still not understanding why so many people find him appealing is that they find the corporate establishment even less appealing. So they will turn to somebody like him. And that is in many ways emblematic of all the problems that we have. It doesn't make sense to want to gravitate towards a super billionaire, which is, I guess, what you would call him. But when you have this insufferable conglomerate in society that dictates the talking points, um, the trending topics, I, I totally get why people are, you know, just absolutely incensed over whether it's the Twitter files or anything else that's been coming out. I don't even understand what that is. And I don't really care to. It all comes down to the same thing. I think I said it really eloquently before. He really is just a douchebag. He's the kid who got picked on growing up. I he, there is no. I don't way. think that's any. I don't think that there's any relevance to that. In no, this there is because he's grown up to be like a big bully. I think it's a total relevant conversation. You're not allowed to like. Criticize I'm not. Sa- the no, I'm not sa- but again, it's not relevant to the circumstances because people are desperate and they don't believe in the system anymore. And the only thing that he's doing is exposing the fact that it's broken. It's not going to affect him. They're going to do everything they can to try to sink Tesla, obviously, because they hate his guts, just like they hate Trump. He's upsetting the established order. Granted, he's doing it to his own personal benefit, which is what every freaking oligarch ends up doing. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things that he's saying that are incorrect, that there isn't a completely flawed and broken system that we're dealing with on an everyday basis. I just somehow find it really infuriating when the people complaining about the system are the ones benefiting the most from it, like him and Trump, respective, like sure. both of them. I find it especially like, especially gross. I find everything about him just so unbelievably. He's a very small man. He's a very, very small man. And that does matter. Monopoly, I said that he's a super billionaire. I didn't say super villain. I don't see him, you know, Dick Cheney's a super villain. Right. Um, I've, I, all I said was I think he's a small man and a douchebag. And I do. I think that very much. I think this is somebody who is very insecure. I think this is the kid who had kick me pasted on his back or taped on I the back of his well, shirt. considering how bad his... And, and anybody, do yourself a favor, I mean, well, or not, but look up a picture of Elon Musk before anybody knew who he was, and it'll make a lot of things clear to you how this is somebody. This is the kid that could not get the girls. This is the kid. And he's just so overcompensating. It's just disgusting okay, to me. Okay, so, but, but that's, that doesn't, that doesn't That's change. his motive for everything. It does. I don't think he has a principled stance on anything. It's not a question of having a principled stance. I agree. He doesn't have one, but it's also like, well, why are you going after him? Exactly. He is literally what is broken. I agree. So when, what is broken is pointing out the system's broken. It, how that does not make you, people want to punch him in the face. It doesn't make us revere you as some sort of like you're revere, speaking I don't out. Revere, I don't revere you. You might not, but I mean, it's just like what but is I'm it? Also, uh, but I'm also – but psychologically, you guys have to put yourselves in the shoes of the people who are gravitating to him. Yes, there's colossal douchebags who are like, yeah, you love do this. But there's also people who are watching him and hoping, hoping against hope that he may present something to them that gives them a little bit of solace in the life that they're living. 
because they know that the system is messed up, that it's completely corrupted, it is completely broken, and they have nothing to hang their hat on. Newsflash, Elon Musk is not going to help you. He doesn't give a crap about you. And I would be shocked if he owned Twitter past like another couple of years. But what is it? But you're still not proving any point here. I'm not trying to prove any point. What point did you think I'm trying to prove? That people are desperate and they want to have something that they can latch on Well, up yes. To. And, and unfortunately for us, that seems to only come from right-wing grifters. And, you know, the left just sort of sits there when they actually have substance to stand on and lure people who are afraid and give them something to fight for and all of that. Instead, they just sit there and let them just keep getting pulled away by other sort of right-wing grifters like Elon Musk. Yeah. And again, that would be one thing if there was any of these supposed people out there that were actually going to try and help. I am very triggered by Elon Musk. You're right. You're right. I am. I'm very triggered by him in particular. Yeah. You need to like seriously get over that. I, I no. I'm just saying it's like I just it's unfortunate that people support his nonsense. I wouldn't like there's no like. I I just again, I feel terrible for people that can't see through the bullshit at this point. Because Elon is putting forward these things, and yes, in a very self-serving way, but as I said, it's not like what he's saying isn't true. Well, a broken clock is right twice a day. Sure. Even a guy like him, who is extremely Trump made a few decent points when he was running. When Trump was running, he made a few decent points. He talked about getting out of the wars. He talked about getting rid of the TPP and all this. He made some very valid populist points. You know, so what? You can make those points. But if you live to the contrary of that, what is your value? I don't know. Is Mark Cuban a good billionaire? He seems to do things that are not just strictly profit motive. So, yeah. Yeah. When you're actually doing things that I think expose that you're willing, even I was just watching Shark Tank the other day. I don't normally watch it actually. And he took on, this could have been an old one, so I don't know, but he invested in something that literally he knew wasn't going to be a profit thing just because he thought it would be cool and he could use it for his nonprofit and whatever. Like just because some people just would rather put their money to good things than not good things. And it isn't always about profit for everybody. That's a good line, Doug. I agree with you on that one. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Fragile. That is perfect. That fragile narcissist buys criticism factory. Exactly. That's the 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 emperor has no clothes, and he is not going to own that thing for very long. I mark my words. And as Rice says, he's right for all the wrong reasons. Yes, he can be pointing out exactly what the problem is, but. Elon Musk is as anti-labor as it gets, like as anti-labor as it gets. So thinking that he's worth celebrating, I can acknowledge if he says something. What's life like in a Tesla factory? What's life like in a Tesla? I don't know. Probably is bad, if not worse, than what life is like in an Amazon warehouse. Okay, because I don't know. I mean, I've never seen like, this is not something I've seen like a lot of coverage on or reports on. I don't know if that's, you know, a thing. I don't know how he treats his employees. Rye is absolutely correct. It's very much the Trump playbook in many ways. Yes. Yeah. Exposing and they the convince people. What they do is they're able to convince people that, yeah, I benefit from it, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is that they allow it to happen. And they're actually able to convince people that that's the problem. And that is why somebody like Trump and somebody like DeSantis is able to ascend up the ladder as quickly as they are. Because there is no true populist left coalition in the United States right now. People are way too caught up in things that do not allow them to focus on these core issues 
that would allow it to come to the forefront. And I still believe that Bernie didn't fight hard enough, anywhere near as hard as he should have for that nomination, because he needed to sense the moment. He needed to sense how desperate this country was. I knew it was not, like, I knew that was sort of like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like, I knew that that wasn't going to come around again. It was sort of like, you know, when Dan had that realization after the first Super Bowl that he's not just coming back next year, like he really thought he would just get back next year to the Super Bowl. And you just, it, it didn't happen. That's the same thing. It was one of those moments. And it just was, yeah, it's very unfortunate. I agree. And I totally get why everyone is desperate. I mean, I'm desperate too. I'm going through my own personal hell right now that I will not elaborate on. Please don't. It's it's not funny. No, but it's not funny. But I mean, you don't. don't. I wasn't going to. Okay. So, you know, we all, we, we're all, we're all struggling in this world. And so it's easy to, you know, see everybody who likes to look down on you, like the elite liberal class, especially in the beltway, you know, to, to see them, if you will, taken down a peg. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I well, and I do appreciate it. And until there's somebody on the left that's talking clearly in that message again, they're just going to keep continuing to bleed people from their party. I mean, I don't see like that. But this is also why the the elite liberal class in places like D.C., New York, San Francisco and the like do not talk about these particular issues like safety, anti-union lawsuits, racism, things, things that actually have an effect on the overall economics. Why? Because a lot of these people are heavily invested in Tesla, whether they'll admit it or not publicly, Mm. among other places, because they benefit from this very system. They're not going to talk about anything other than the fact that Elon Musk is a douchebag or a transphobe or God knows what else. They're not going to go around the clock talking about the fact that he's anti-labor. Why? Because our government as a whole is anti-labor. You know what's amazing? I can do all those things at the same time. I can still call him a douche and talk about that he's anti-labor. You can do both of those things at the same time. But not people who are dependent upon his... Again, the the system will not self-correct. And anyone who is a part of it at that level is going to be protected because they know all the secrets. They know how to raise the economy and how to sink it. And most of it's just a house of cards at this point. I mean, most people have to know that our economy is a joke. The idea that we blatantly have insider trading and nothing is being done about it. Why would anybody ever trust our government if they know that the people who run it are running it into the ground? Why believe in anything? That's how violence starts. So when people are wondering why people are getting hurt, shot at, or even killed, it's not that hard to see why. Society is falling apart, and they're going to continue to point the finger in the direction of where it doesn't belong. If somebody doesn't like the fact that you're gay, fuck them. They're the one with the problem, not you. And trying to pass legislation is not going to solve the problem. In fact, it's going to embolden them. When you passed the Defense of Marriage Act the other day, and this lady, Representative Hartzler, I think was her name, in, in Missouri, is crying on the House floor because marriage is only supposed to be between a man and a woman and you should really rethink what you're doing. Lady, get fucked. 
You're a you're a congressional representative. Well, that was in Congress. Yeah. Oh, what happened to the separation of church house. and state? No oh such thing, God. I suppose. Oh People God. give a damn about stuff like that. This is the stuff that be, that becomes the news. So you know what I think would be cool? I think we should appoint a commission, like a secular, like police commission kind of thing, and go through and police all of the laws that have religion basis and just get rid of them. And any any of our legislation or anything that goes through that's based on religion, to me, is just not how we should be doing this. Metalopoly hits it right on the head. But one thing I have to tell you, Metalopoly. The deplorable. Let's, well, let's be very, very clear here. And this is also the importance of language and why the right is so much better at this than others. It is not the left that insults workers. It is liberals. That it is the Democratic Party. Party that insults that insults workers. Stop calling the Democratic Party left. They're they not are left. not left. The people to whom you're referring that threw out labor and it brought in the corporate donors, those are neoliberal centrist corporate Democrats. They're not the left. At best, they're center. At best, they're center. And anywhere else in the world, they'd probably be even right of center. So no, that's not the actual left. So, but yes, they did throw labor under the bus. The fact that we don't have universal broadband, much less nationalization of social media companies, kind of tells you all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. This sort of banding together in ways that we really need to is essential. Yeah, universal broadband's a huge thing. And that's something that somebody like Mark Cuban would fight for. Anybody who is against that is not your friend. No. I don't care what your policies are on anything. On anything else, if you, if somebody is not supportive of universal broadband, they're not our friend. If they're not a supporter of universal health care. Well, yes, but you, you can argue different things with that in terms of, well, the people that get unemployed and people will go back with their talking points left and right and say, what we really need is some sort of like mixed system and blah, 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 blah. But you can't do that with broadband. It's a very black and white thing. Sure. Everybody needs it. We all want it. That's how it needs to be. That's just the way it should be. It First doesn't of all, matter the idea that you don't are. have universal broadband, considering how much of a boom to the economy it would be yeah. if you had it. Like that's up it's there with like allowing a, us clean water. Well, if you think about it, it's almost like a it's second. It's it's almost like a second internet boom. Yeah, is what would happen. You guys would be shocked at how many not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but millions of people in this country don't have access to the internet. Yeah, I mean, it's, but like I just thinking, like we have, should have access to that, like all other things, you know, like clean water, but we don't have that either. But yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because that's what corporate messaging is able to do. Yeah. It's to convince people that this is what it is, but it isn't. Just like I do everything in my power to make a distinction between people who are civil libertarians and Republicans. There is a difference in many yeah, ways. I mean, the labels are really just labels, but I do agree that in this country, that people that watch, especially mainstream media, they think that the Democrats are the left because that's the only left they're presented with. They don't get to see the actual left because we're censored and we're not allowed on mainstream media and they don't want to talk about us because that will affect their bottom line. So the actual left will affect the bottom line of the people that are pretending to be the left. That is what you guys have to remember. And it isn't, it's, and again, you have to take, and again, you're wrong by saying it's the left. It's labor versus 
shareholders. That's what this uh, is. It is. But that when you're looking at, OK, I'm reading this like whole thing about the black liberation movement from a Marxist Leninist perspective. And yeah, so you're my, really going to gain a lot of followers. With what that I'm language. saying is, is that when I'm saying the left, that is the proletariat, that is labor, that is the left. What you're like, you're looking at this like left wing. What else does that mean? It means nothing else but that we're the we're the proletariat. That's sure. what the left is in philosophy. OK, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about partisan nonsense. The point of having Metalopoly access to the Internet is that you can start a small business, that you can get a different perspective on the world other than what you're seeing through the corporate media lens of MSNBC, CNN and Fox News. There is something to be said for having access to something that allows you to expand your mind around the world. And this isn't to disparage anybody regarding their religious beliefs, but let's be honest, the majority of people who grow up in small town America without internet are from extremely religious communities who don't want people to see the world for what it really is. This is part and parcel why the most dangerous aspect of the GOP are parts of this country where religion dominates especially evangelism. That's what dominates. And it teaches people to basically live in fear their entire lives, to never actually enjoy life, to always repent and worry about what's coming after you die, which no one has proof of anyway. That's a problem. Um, what are you saying? Labor unions, the true... No, I don't mean unions, just labor. Yeah. Labor, the working people, the proletariat. Um, that's what it is. It's the working class. And that just goes to show you just how desperate people get. Well, and the, here's the thing. The Democratic Party is not a labor party. Neither is the Republican Party. No. But, so what's happening is, so right, so neither party is a labor party. But Trump seized on Bernie's message when it mattered most. Yeah. It's a really terrible deal. But totally so if you've got TPP. two parties and neither of them are labor parties, then it's coming down to identity, political bullshit and distraction issues. And the left is really annoying when it comes to that, turning off so many people that are going to the right because neither party are offering any real solutions and the right can be infinitely less annoying and sanctimonious and elitist. Think about that. Think about, think about what Double K pointed out. 44% of union members in the United States voted for Trump. You have not seen union numbers like that since Reagan. And before that, Eisenhower. It, it's just crazy that the GOP, especially in this day and age, was able to do that. So when you criticize them because they're so right wing and on all the social issues where I agree with it, it is a problem. I mean, they're not my party. Um, but what they're doing is they're succeeding in owning the labor message. They they're are. succeeding in taking over that working class um, message, that populist message. And it doesn't need to be that way because neither party are actually going to do any of those things, but they're seizing on the marketing of it. They are. And that's the danger. That's the real danger. And that's why Joe Biden is so dangerous. And the people who are protecting him right now in lieu of what he did to the railroad workers, people really don't understand how significant that decision was. He didn't have to do anything. He could have just said, let the railroad workers deal directly with the No, it's the with biggest the fuck workers. you to labor that 
that we've seen in a really long time. Oh, yeah. And honestly, if it's the biggest F you to labor since Reagan fired the air traffic. Yeah, like this is that's not hyperbolic. No, I mean, worse than anything Trump did. um, And and like people don't understand the implication of this, that you have an executive branch leader that squashed a collective bargaining movement. I don't like it's it's pretty big. It's a big deal. And I don't think people really understand the gravity, but I don't think people understand the gravity of a lot of things, but this is a big deal. And, and so for me, anybody who is um, a, in labor, anybody who views themselves as a working person, um, that is not somebody you should ever support. I mean, this is somebody who really hurt la- and hurt labor. No Democrats done that. Who's done that? that or quote, a Democrat, like who's done that? Like you said, it was Reagan. So has there been a Democrat that's done something like this to labor? I mean, it's pretty bad. Yeah. You just basically announced that you are the anti-labor party. Bernie's greatest appeal when he ran for president was that he's as pro-labor as anybody since FDR. And he was. And if he had become president- We wouldn't be having this discussion. I don't know how much he would have accomplished if he was president, but I know enough- that he would have accomplished quite a bit with the labor movement. And he definitely would be handling the railroad strike completely differently. Like what we're talking about right now would not be an issue right now. I have no doubt. If Bernie was president, we wouldn't be talking about the, he would have handled the railroad worker strike before it even became an issue again. It's been going on for years. They've been trying to get this contract down for years. This is not like a new thing. It just came to a head. Bernie would have nipped this in about a long time ago. Well, and they're fighting over a couple of sick days or a sick day. Like, it's obscene. 1.5% of railroad workers, of the railroad's profits, is what the railroad workers were seeking. 1.5%. And they told them to get fucked. I re- Let me tell you something. I really, really would love to see a complete shutdown of our infrastructure, of our all of that. I want to see railroads down, UPS down, FedEx down. You guys control the whole world this time of year. You have the whole world in your hands. If And if we had things like healthcare and social safety net, and we had things like that so that there could be some sort of support network in place for people to be able to do that. Oh my God. I So if all of those guys went on strike at the same time, I... It would, you would get something done. You would get something done. It would be something big. And they would definitely call their bluff. I mean, listen, the people in power would not cave. Everyone thinks they would cave immediately. No. No, They would would hold out for a while. That's why you need to have a support. That's why they've, they've rendered us, they've neutered us or neutered any working people from really having an uprising by having no social safety net so that you can't strike. You know, it's when you're in France, and you know that you can go on strike and you don't have to worry about health care. You know, like there's just certain uh, they have security there that our workers just don't have. And we allowed that to be eroded over time to the point where, yeah, now it's like we're watching them basically ask for permission to strike. Yeah. And it's just they've been so just neutered. Get neutered. 
it's really unfortunate. And you're seeing the small amounts of the uprising in places like Starbucks and Amazon and all that. That stuff is new and fresh and great. What we're talking about is like the old school unions that are still just so stuck in bed with the party that the people at the top, I don't know how hard they're fighting for the people at the bottom of their rank. They're not fighting for them at all. That's the thing. So you've got the people at the top of the unions basically in cahoots with the neoliberal people and the Democratic Party saying, okay, this is good enough for your people. And they're going, all right. It's sick. It is. It's it's really sick. So what you're not seeing that with a lot of the newer labor uprisings because they're still very homegrown. You know, you still have people like Chris Smalls that are actively involved in the management of that union as opposed to bosses, right? So it's just, it's an interesting transition. I just really am tired. I'm tired of seeing people defending Biden. I really am. I'm tired of seeing it. Oh my God. I, 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 got, I had myself removed from that email group. I sent a text to the head of that email group and I said, I can't be in this anymore. I don't want to read this anymore. My new friend, the Mighty Max. Welcome to Generational Change. We Mighty Max Boxing? What's yeah. that about, man? He is an awesome gentleman. His father is a pickleball player that I met through Mallory. And he was at the network. Is he a boxing person? He is a boxing enthusiast. A boxing enthusiast. And definitely thinking about being a sports announcer, among other things. Wow. He's he's part of, everybody is pickleball around here, man. Okay. Maybe you'll get into it. I'm not playing pickleball. Plantation, Florida, I'm not kidding you guys, is like the capital of pickleball. Like for at least for the Tri-County area. And they're now adding in even more pickleball courts at Central Park. Like pickleball here is such a huge thing. I can't even. T- and people apparently come up to Plantation to use the pickleball courts from West Palm Beach and Miami quite a bit. Like, really? yes, this is the hub of the pickleball. Well, here the I am thinking area. that everybody just happens to want to go out there and play pickleball. No, so it's a big not. thing here. It's a And no, it is gaining popularity in a lot of places. But in Plantation in South Florida, it's a huge thing. Everybody plays pickleball. I don't. I'm not. I'm not a pickleball player. I'm not a. I'm not a sports game player. That's too bad. No. Why is that bad? Because it could be really good for. I, I guess I'll just have to play and well, have to meet. Everybody. I don't mind hanging out and meeting people that are playing pickleball, but I don't. I'm not a sports game player. You can it's not try. my thing. It has nothing. I could do a lot of things, and I might even be good at it, but I don't want to. And why? Why do I need to try? Like I don't understand that. I don't know. It's an activity that you and I could do together. And I fun. wasn't looking for an activity for you and I to do together. And quite honestly, I like my exercise regimen. I'm not a game I've done player. Your, I've done it's not about whether you've done it. I don't want to play sports games. It's not my thing. I don't like playing for points. I don't like sports games to play. I like to watch some sports games. Sure. But I don't want to play sports games. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you very much, Jesse. Uh, what did we think of the Bad Faith interview with Kashama and Ryan Grimm? Listen, uh, we're friends with Ryan Grimm. Thank the world of Kashama Sawant. Ryan runs cover for the squad and other people. He just does. That's either that's part of his job that the intercept. I think he also. Or- I think he also is of the mindset that that's as good as it's going to get for us right now. And that there's no need to ruffle the feathers of the only people that are and and that we have our bar is low. And so to him, you got to protect what you've got. It's fair. Uh, I don't agree with it. I, I don't I, either. I am, I'm just I saying also, I think that I that's do where under, he's coming but from. But I do understand where he's coming from. Kind of also how I feel about Tom Hartman. Yes, I yes, same thing. Yeah. You see, here's the thing. Tom Hartman is a great example of somebody who we may disagree with in terms of execution and what needs to be done. But if Jen ever ran for office again. You think Tom Hartman wouldn't be there to support Jen? 
through and through against Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Oh, of course. And he'd have me on the show. And yeah, he's definitely a supporter. Um, I just, there are people that are just more loyal and to the partisan thing, you know, and they don't want to speak ill of it. And they just want to work with what they've got. And they also, to some extent, are realists about the system that we're currently in. And instead of worrying about what we want, we need to deal with where we are. And I kind of get that too. And then there's also the element, if we're being completely honest, people have very thin skin of all places in politics, which is the one place you shouldn't have it. People have extremely thin skin and even the lightest bit of criticism can turn off some people, especially in positions of power to the point in which they don't ever want to talk to you again because you said something critical of them, which is unbelievable. Yeah, but it's, un- it's unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate. You know, I have, it's, it's interesting. I don't, because people tend to be mean about it. And some criticism sure. is personal and mean. And I, like, to me, it's just go away with that. Nobody needs that. If it's constructive and helpful and is something that would yield in that positive by your criticism, or you at least feel that there's like a real basis for it, or you have a concern, I'm all about it. Unfortunately, what we see are, to me, criticisms that are just generally mean and unproductive and not really based in anything other than just somebody just wants to be mean. And that is the disadvantage of social media. Well, right. Like constructive criticism is very welcome. And especially, and then I would also put this out because anybody who knows me personally or has my cell phone number, if you have something constructively critical to say, I'd be totally happy to hear it and address it or whatever. But when you do it publicly or in a chat, that's not really screaming constructive to me. So I don't, like, I don't mind, criticism isn't a problem. But it's always, to me, what's the intent? Is your intent to change something for the better and be a net positive? Or is your intent to be a dig on someone and be hurtful? And so to me, if your criticism is the former, then I'm all about that. If it's the latter, eh, go away. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. So what, what do you mean by criticism? You know, criticism on things that are valid and helpful. I mean, I'm asking, like, when you talk about what, what's constructive to, you know, to me. Well, a constructive critique would be somebody like AOC by saying that I don't agree with her methods when she focuses almost exclusively on the culture war. I think she is completely ineffectual on Capitol Hill. But in her own district and in the state of New York, particularly New York City, she is extremely effective. She has inspired countless people to get involved in politics they would otherwise never be involved, especially her, what I would consider her pop culture appeal, which is not something a lot of people like. She doesn't conduct herself in a way that is very endearing to people who are looking at it from a Politico standpoint. But Alex is effective, whether we like it or not. I she just don't effective. feel the need to, for the most part, yeah. I don't feel the need to criticize people. Like I look at different sure. issues at a time. Like right now, I don't, I don't feel like she hasn't done anything like that I find particularly offensive. And Metalopoly, we cannot agree on that more with you. I would love there to be a labor party. And however that forms, like we're currently sort of trying, working within what we have now to pull where we are to that and get people to wake up and realize that that's the only way that Democrats have any future as a party is to embrace labor as its, as its base. Um, that's where we stand right now trying to do. But I would, of course, be very supportive of any and all people wanting to participate in that 
in that push because that is the ultimate problem is that we don't have a labor party. In this no, country. we don't have a labor party. And if we're talking about right and left populism, we need to be talking about specifically living wage, universal health care, clean energy, universal, criminal justice reform, and not just collective bargaining, but the fact that we don't have any say in terms of, and this is the whole thing about ending the endless wars. You know, you have 850 billion that just passed again for the military budget. And that's on top of the additional spending that goes to Ukraine and other parts of the world. So there is this big fight. And look, I'm not, I don't agree with you, dirtbag leftist. I don't think that there is, there isn't anything regarding right populism that doesn't make sense, but there's a lot of things about right populism that doesn't make sense. Well, right now there's, right now there's no left populism. That's the problem. So and believe it or not, if we had a really strong left populist movement, a lot of people who are on the right side of populism would come, would come back. Bingo. Uh, the amount of people that I have met since the past like few years, four years, the amount of people that I've met that just generally find the Democratic Party to be just insufferable and sanctimonious and just don't want anything to do with them. But these are actual people that are working people that would totally be part of a labor movement. Um, that's most people that I've met that are no longer in the party, actually. And they're, they're they're bleeding like a sieve. And this to me is why. It's because they're so that they're insufferable and elitist and they come off that way and regular working people are starting to realize that this isn't a left and right thing. It's a working class, not working class thing. This is a, this is a class war. And the more that they're realizing that and the more they're just finding the democratic party to be not addressing that. And even though the right we know is not going to follow through and address it, they're at least selling it. And the Democrats aren't selling that. They're still cozying up with corporate stuff. And this latest move by Biden with the railroad workers is such a fuck you to labor. It's, you know, they really don't get it. And I'm fine with it. I keep thinking they're reaching their nadir, their lowest point, like that they're just, but no, they, they're rock bottom. They need to keep going lower. And I'm just watching it. I feel like I'm just watching it, but they're a joke. They are not a party of labor. They don't represent anything having to do with um, working class people. Nothing. They represent nothing about working class people. And the handful of them that wish they could do that, your AOCs, which I do believe intended to do this, like there are people in there that really would like to represent regular people, but there's just not enough of them. And really, they just can't be effectual right now. They just can't be. So then you have a choice. You could either sort of toe the line and maintain your position and try to stay there so that you can help at least better than who would be there if it weren't you. And maybe wait for some more real progressives to come in so that you can have the numbers. Maybe that's what you do. But in order to do that, you got to play it safe with some things in order to keep your position so that maybe you could do that at some point. So there's so much like behind the scenes crap. And by the way, just having two years as a term is ludicrous for people, is ludicrous. By the time you've been there a year, you're already campaigning to stay there in order to be able to finish working on what you just started working on. So you're always campaigning. You're always having to sort of play the game and you're not really ever able to focus on just doing what you need to do. They need to have four-year terms. And Paul- I'm just saying. Nobody is trying to unite with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And if you think that Marjorie Taylor Greene- She's is a grifter. Anyway, part of the mission, 
She's she's another one who she's just who just knows how to say the right thing every once in a while. Yeah. But then she'll go on stage at the Young Republicans event in New York the other day and say, you know, if Steve Bannon and I were in charge of January 6th, we would have won. Take with that what you want, but just understand. She's a grifter. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a grifter and she will run for president probably in 2028. So just get ready because she's coming next. No one's uniting with that. At least I know I'm not. That's not somebody who's part of the mission. No, and and the thing is, is that when you're a grifter and you're just selling something and you're just sort of um, finding your niche, which is what she is, she's very niche. If she, like, yeah, let's, she runs, that's fine. She'll have a niche following. She'll have a, a group of people that are following. Unfortunately, that following will get so much airtime and so much play that it'll seem to be the loudest voice in the room. But ultimately, when it comes down to voting, most people do not support people like her. They just don't. Most people don't find her appealing. There's not like a huge, she just gets a lot of media attention. There's not, that doesn't turn out, that doesn't translate to votes. Um, neither does fundraising always translate to votes. She might get a huge dump of money from whatever right wing nonsense that she gets from still doesn't translate to votes. Jesse, I totally understand what you're saying. But at the end of the day, you also have to be realistic about the electoral system that we have. Trying to fight for a third party right now, when in reality, <clears throat> the Democratic Party is kind of breaking at the seams in many ways. People are getting really tired of the corruption, and there are a number of solid representatives who are finding their way in. Are they going to do everything that we're looking for? No, but you do have Jasmine Crockett. You do have Greg Kazar. You do have Summer Lee. You do have Maxwell Frost. Katie Porter. You do have Katie Porter. I'm talking about the new elected officials. Oh, new people. Okay. Uh, okay. And then there's um, the, the lady who just got elected in, um, in Marie Newman's old district. Point is we're on. chipping away. Yeah, we are chipping away. And you, you have to look at it like this. Like it's been, um, at one point, AOC was the only one in 2018 at one point. Like really that- Now you've got probably legitimately so, at least like 12 to 15 that are like kind of It's right still there. not enough. Now no. I think to me, I think it's enough in many of the cases we've seen over the past couple of years where they could have taken a stand and been effective, I think. And I think that had there been somebody in there that had that sort of leadership to corral that group together to do that, somebody like Anina, somebody that I think would really motivate people to come together, maybe they had enough numbers. But apparently there's not enough numbers along with the level of nerve simultaneously in organization at this point to actually turn the tide, which isn't to say that it can't happen in the future as the Democratic Party continues to implode. Um, in terms of its sort of establishment self. And when that starts to happen, as that's happening, at the same time as more and more progressive, more and more non-corporate people start finding their way in as the Democratic Party is imploding, that's when we're going to see the shift. Yeah. And we're, we're sort of just Probably chipping away at that. closer to it than we think. I think, well, you know, it, it gets better every year. It gets better every year. More and more people become aware of the situation. More and more people are leaving the Democratic Party. Now, the problem is, is we have to reach out because we live in a closed primary and get people that are in the party to in order for us to be able to be anywhere near effective. So that's part of our battle here is that, you know, the Democratic Party is very unpopular um, nationwide. It is not leading. 
And it's, it's about how many people vote for the Democrats because they're voting against Republicans. Well, that, about that. it's the only alternative. Yeah. And when you start looking at the religious right factor and people that get very turned off to all of that. Yeah, that's what they've made it. They've made the entire thing a culture war instead of a class war. Orsman, and that's the problem. Horse Manhattan, thank you for tuning in from the UK. Uh, I guess if you're looking for where we stand, I mean, the closest thing would probably be the Labour Party that's in the UK. Okay, so what what my party is, I am technically registered as a Democrat because in our system, there really are only two parties that we have. So our choices are Democrat or Republican. And where I live in particular has what's called closed primaries so that really in order to participate in the primary election, um, you have to be in a party or you can't participate until the general election. And so we're sort of stuck. So I'm technically affiliated. I'm a Democrat. I don't support their platform. I don't even think they even know what their platform is. I find them to be completely um, corrupt well, and corporate. Like but in order for me to participate in politics, I have to be that. That's just un- it's unfortunate. I wish I lived in a place where I could be independent and still participate and be able to have any sense of effectiveness whatsoever. Why don't you just be like Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. Well, I'm not in this for a publicity stunt, but so Fair that's enough. the thing. So we're, but if you want to ask where I am philosophically, I am, I am what is, would be considered left of our democratic party um, fairly significantly. I'm not over there with my like communo and or ant anarcho-communist friends where they don't believe in borders and all that. I'm not there. Um, I'm not far from there. Like I could be convinced. I could definitely see some solid arguments. Um, I'm just for whatever has, I am for whatever has the most people living the best way, the best life and the most just way they can. I'm for whatever is that. And um, I'm pretty like amenable to different ideas. I am a person of reason. So like if somebody said this way would be the best way to help the most amount of people live the best quality of life, I'd be like, all right, well, let's talk about that. Let's consider I'm pretty flexible. Um, But yeah, I stand for the small people. So we really- He doesn't. He don't care about the small people. I'm just joking. They're they're terrible people. They don't deserve (laughs) anything. They'll just be grateful for being alive. I am of the, I am of the, the philosophical party of caring for the least of these and um, fighting for what's right for, for people, for everybody. That's what I am of. We hope you enjoyed it. Remember to smash the like button, get out there and share this in many different ways as you can. Remember on Wednesday night, we will have Grant Rosen and- Rosalind Pacheski. Rosalind Pacheski talking about the deconstruction of Zionism and what a time to have that conversation. As, when does Hanukkah start? I don't even know. That's how secular I am as a Jew. Okay. So I think we're, I should know, but I, you know, it's somewhere, but you know, it's a lot of things are changing right now in that world. Did you see that the head of, and I can't, his name, I'm drawing a blank of J street, which is a a considered a liberal Jewish um, organization has finally come out flat out and said, we no longer see a two state solution as something that's possible. And it is big. And so that's another thing where it's shifting. We're chipping away at that and it is gradually shifting and more and more people are going to be aware of that situation as well. So that's what I'm working on. Horseman, we will tune in on Wednesday night. uh, Wait, what did he ask? uh, Just about your negatives. It's too much of a loaded question at this point. But please tune in on Wednesday evening. We really appreciate you coming here. Also, if you want to put the question in the chat box after we drop the live stream, we can answer. Oh, also, and seriously, if you're new here, we have over two years of content. 
that would most likely answer any of your questions about us in terms of like political policy minds, like anything we think about that. Orson, we really appreciate it. And please share the love to your friends and family in the UK. We can always use more people, especially if you have anyone in Ireland that would love to have them on. So do me. Oh my God, you sound like Lucky Charms guy. Yes. They're magically delicious. Green clovers. Yellow horseshoes, um, yeah, our, our, our mission, Horseman, is transforming politics into service. We actually believe that politics should represent the general populace and serve them. One would hope. So with that said, we appreciate you guys. Smash that like button, share, subscribe, do all that wonderful stuff we ask you to do. Become a patron if you're so inclined, patreon.com forward slash generational change. But if not, your likes, comments are always appreciated. Thanks for being here and we'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.